I'm going to call in rescue. Let's get the choppers, ping this site as an LKP, and then 15 miles POA. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Word will spread. Their families will be upset. And if these dorks turn out to be just out on some geek expedition, don't you want to hold off for a bit? No, Hank, I don't. We're late to the party already. The ham and the sandwich may seem fresh, but the mayo's like syrup. Mayo doesn't go running until a couple days out of the fridge. But your processed cold cuts must survive the apocalypse. The things you learn when your kid leaves at lunch in the backseat of the car. You were never much of a sandwich-making kind of dad, was he, Pete? Drop it! Duncan and both come correct. We're, we're off to the races. <laughs> <laughs> Two veterans of podcast swinging in one more time uh-huh. to... To, to record on systems which have changed and are now apparently more complicated than they were when we were recording last. Yeah, well, you know, what are you going to do? Um, so I am one of your hosts, Bo, mm-hmm. uh, who is afraid of technology. With me also <laughs> afraid of technology is the the inimitable uh, Duncan McLeish. How are you, sir? Who said that? Technology. Jesus, God, Satan. <laughs> Something in here. All if, of them. Oh, if only it were Satan. <laughs> well, I would say that there's only some sort of Fausty impact that could ever, ever bring back a show that has taken a year off. I mean, I, yeah. I would love to see there's like a Rocky montage training sequence of us like, like getting back in DBCC shape, but that just doesn't exist. Right. Like, what shape is that? <laughs> Flabby around the middle. Like, Flabby with opinions, boy. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> like DBCC shape is pear, you know. <laughs> but I mean, I appreciate. Uh, don't get me wrong. Oh uh, yes. Uh, I I certainly. <laughs> I look w- one of the things that's been super nice is mm. uh is people who are like hey uh you know when when the fuck is DBCC going to be back and it was like <laughs> this is all my fault like I cannot blame anyone else because I decided to go off and like change careers yeah, and fault is not, not not fair like what we I I like to think what we do as a podcast mm-hmm. is we find things that will be fun to talk about and then we set aside some personal time mm-hmm. to come down and, and and talk about those things i would see we were pretty much even with our breaks in between certain tv shows we have been pretty consistent for mm-hmm. a decade so um like dbcc formed in 2014 if i'm not mistaken i think we did oh yeah i'll have to go back and look but that sounds right so we've been doing this for about 10 years so there is a certain point when even established touring rock acts take a little bit of time off and then come back and hit the classics and if we're ever going to come back to do anything the return of true detective kind of feels like our i don't know our black album so yeah our black album (laughs) let's let's just let's just bring the band back i uh, i mean that's where things start to go off the rails. That's <laughs> when they got their haircut. I mean, what the fuck is going on? No, it was low technically. It but. was when, it, like, after Injustice for All. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, the, this is one of the most rockinest bands yeah. that has ever been. And then the next time out, you're getting a little, and nothing else matters. And yep. You're like, whoa, whoa, what? <laughs> what? What? What is this? 
James, <laughs> what we're we doing here? And he's like, I don't know, uh, like creating the highest selling metal album of all time. I think we are. I, maybe so, but look. Oh yeah, it's a it's a it's a shift. It's not yeah. as it is not as big a shift as the load album that comes after that, where there is yeah. literally an entire song where it's like that. It ain't my ooh bitch. Like that is literally how he finishes the song. It ain't my ooh bitch. Um, and you're like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Metallica kind of sucks. <laughs> The yeah, love- takeaway is not at first. Not at first. At yeah. first, they were awesome, yeah. and then they, oh, they started. Got, they sucking. got progressively. They got progressively. And my favorite <laughs> thing was they released that seventy-two seasons album last year, uh-huh. and people were like, "They're back!" And they're really not. That is a that is a long. Like, the way I described it when it came out was, if a band was trying to get signed today, mm-hmm. and that's what they handed into a record label, they would not be signed. So let's not pretend it's a great Metallica album. Yeah. It's really not. It's not a great debut album. So let's just like put it to the side and let's just be like, just go on tour. Let's, like, mm-hmm. like I say, like DBCC. Like, there's a certain point where you're really listening in for the camaraderie and the hot takes than you are about us like coming up with some brand new format and changing the paradigm of podcasts. <laughs> I don't know what we're here to do. You know? Yeah, we, we stumble into that. <laughs> Yeah, I've got a like idea factory ball. Yeah, well, idea look, factory. We have talked many times before about the cultural cachet, where <laughs> we culture. say a thing and then it just comes to be. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. I think I think in a lot of respects, we were early on the Elsa Lopez train as well, for sure. For sure, picking her up for a while and. I, I think I, I think I may have said on season three of True Detective that when we were talking about where this could go, what could happen, like I think me and you had a conversation where we were like, oh, you know, the fun directors that could take a swing at it. We never mentioned Elsa Lopez, but we certainly mentioned other directors that were like, you could take established directors here, like mm-hmm. proper big named like horror or thriller directors, and just give them a season of True Detective to run with. And um, apparently, that's not what happened here, but did. Happened here. So Elsa Lopez wrote uh, a pitch for a TV series, like a mini series called Night Detective, mm-hmm. and she brought it to HBO, <laughs> and uh, and HBO basically said, "This is great. We love it. How would you feel if we changed it and, for marketing purposes, made it True Detective?" And she was like, hey, "I can work with that." And then she went away, changed some stuff around brought some synergy between the brands and then essentially mm-hmm. off to the races from there. So, um, yeah, and in a weird way, it feels like HBO, who clearly listened to everything we do, uh, took this on board and uh, ran with it. So, although Night Detective does sound like she was kind of pitching for True Detective. Like, is you take it to HBO. Right. Yeah, you take it to HBO, and as dumb as some of the moves that Max has made as a brand yeah. lately, mm. there, I'm sure there was somebody with enough brain cells rubbing together that it was like, wait a second. <laughs> We've got a show that's already got Detective right in the name. Well, yeah, Nick Pizzolatto, for those that don't know, like he's heavily involved with seasons one through three, basically was the writer of... In fact, all three seasons, although I think he co-wrote on season yeah. three, um, signed a deal with, I think it was Fox, to develop 
like he knew something and Matthew McConaughey was involved with that project and then ultimately left that project which has kind of left him in limbo over there and HBO owns the rights to the name True Detective which is why they've moved on without him so it's no like uh, like any sort of case of them deliberately ostracising or pushing him out Pizzolatto used all the cachet that he got from the work he'd done in True Detective to pitch a much better deal over with Fox with something else and obviously there's been acquisitions with Disney and all the rest and saying so I believe whatever he's working on now has stalled um, and we now have Elsa Lopez who has predominantly written the majority of this as some kind of co-writing credits as the season goes on but she's definitely at the heart of the story here um, and she's directed every single episode which is the format from Season one, where we yeah. had, um, what was it, Carrie Fukunaka wrote, uh, sorry, directed all the episodes. So we have a singular vision here, like a director giving you a singular vision all the way through, which we've mentioned before, maybe more than once, is kind of how we like our true detective. I kind of like that singular vision all the way through because in season two, for example, some of the, you could, it was evident, oh, that's a different director directing this episode because um, the feel just like things would become too actiony and too kinetic or they would, you know, run at a kind of snail's pace. Um, and this one, one showrunner, uh, one writer, essentially, and um, only six episodes. So this is a shorter true detective. We will be, we'll be through this in six. So, I'm insanely curious from all the questions that I have just from episode one, how the hell we're going to get through this with five episodes after. Yeah, I'm excited to do this because as we record this, the second episode airs tonight. Yes. So it's kind of fitting to like, all right, let's let's pick over this a little bit. Let's talk mm -hmm. about it. And then and then tonight will, will be uh, <laughs> some answers with probably more questions. We'll see how far off the mark we are. Like, I, yeah. I know that I, all I'm going to say is I don't know if mole people can exist in Antarctica. Mole so, people. Um, <laughs> like, can, 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 does Alaska have mole people? Oh, uh, we'll find out. Under we'll the permafrost, Duncan. Let's not be naive. <laughs> the, the, the permafrost is just mole people with perms. <laughs> it's. It, it's like uh, mole people afros. <laughs> Everyone knows that, but the the dreaded tundra mole. Oh, the tundra mole, huh? Don't mess. Um, yeah, so yeah, like the Australian <laughs> drop bear. So yeah, like we're back, True Detective. Yeah. Um, we've got six episodes mm -hmm. in, uh, of these. Bo, um, it was like that. Listen, I've got some time coming up. Let's do this, and you've made me a very happy person because. I, like, I have a lot of friends that watch a lot of TV. Mm -hmm. I have no friends that are as passionate about True Detective as I am. Uh, I made a snarky post online where I basically said, listen, the reviews for the season, for those people that have seen the entire season, you know, these entities out there, your Empire Magazine, etc., are, are saying this is the best season since season one. Mm -hmm. However... Like, don't let anyone fool you into believing that there is a bad season of True Detective. Like, all three, those first three seasons are different stories. It's, you know, it's different, it's different styles. It's very, very difficult to compare them. Um, yes, the, as a standalone, like, that first season is absolutely incredible. But I, what I've enjoyed is sitting back, seeing the, the, the walking back of commentators and reviewers on season two where people are coming back actually saying we get this more now than we got when it came out and um season three i think is the one that maybe has 
it's the one that has the most heart out of the three mm-hmm. of them. Um, I really like season three. I think it's quite good. I thought I thought it was excellent as well. So, I, I mean, I'm down to clown on this, but that's because we've been down to clown on all of them, and mm-hmm. we genuinely think all three are very much worth your time. And what I'm hoping is at the end of this one, we are still sitting here going, you know what, it, at times it's a bit cliche, at times it's a bit tongue-in-cheek, at, time, at times it swings for the fences in a way which doesn't always feel satisfying, but it's out there, it's out there doing something, and I would much rather have TV like this than kind of stale, by the numbers, very safe, by committee television out there. Giving Elsa Lopez a lot of money to make something uh, on HBO is not a bad move to me, even if she's having her time just now with uh, the online Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb crowd. Um, she's not handling particularly well, but um, I also don't <laughs> think that should be something she should worry about. So, yeah, kind of fuck them. Is my yeah, that's attitude. how I. Literally, we were talking off air. Um, I saw Elsa Lopez tour with Tigers Are Not Afraid. I played at Glasgow Fright Fest. I spoke about it for about a year before it finally made its way on the shutter. Where I was just like, "If there's one movie that you see this year," um, yeah. and she she basically came out and in the Q and A had that kind of fucking attitude, which I loved about her. I thought like this is a woman who is just swinging for the fences and is a. Regardless what we want to see, it is a, still is a male-dominated uh, industry and genre that she's working in. Um, mm-hmm. And it's good to have a bit of a chip on your shoulder like with that, because I think it makes her hustle and, you know, like really kind of, you know, dig her, 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 her heels in. Um, the controversy that's come out of, about this is that she felt that there was... And having looked at some of the IMDb reviews for this episode, I think she's maybe onto something here. Some like overtly negative comments about this first episode. I've seen a couple of one or two star reviews, which just doesn't make sense. Like even if you didn't like the story, there's no way you can mark down the acting, the cinematography, the score. Um, but yeah, like she's basically saying that there are people out there that are, are trying to sabotage this. She then deleted that tweet. And then came back and she said, I made a generalisation. Didn't mean that. Didn't mean to say that everyone that loves season one is trying to, you know, mark down season four. But it does kind of feel like there's some people gunning for this before it even gets out the door. You know, some people saying it's like one of the worst things I've seen. All that stuff. Well, if I'm her, I wouldn't be paying attention to any of that. I would be saying, look at what the critics are saying. And we'll see what the, we'll see what comes back in terms of the viewership. That's ultimately how it's going to be judged longer term is, is it doing good numbers for HBO Max? And, you know, will I pick up? I'd, I'd be surprised if this doesn't pick up some awards come award season, specifically for Jodie Foster, who we'll get into, who's kind of just like fucking effortlessly amazing. Um, so, yeah, I, I think she's too too focused on it. I think she should sit back and let us take the six episodes and... Yeah, go on and do, like she's not going to suffer even if this isn't a success. How many people get like a yeah. full six episodes on HBO? Well, yeah, and yeah, it, I mean, this does nothing but raise her profile. And even mm-hmm. if she's fighting back against people online, then you know, kind of whatever, fuck them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it still m- makes her more credit. Like you can't watch this and and not feel like. 
oh, this is directed well, if nothing else. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. even, yeah, like you said, even if you're not, not keyed into the writing, uh, although there, we'll get into this, but there is enough Lynchian bullshit in this that I'm <laughs> like, all right, I like, I'm down for this. There, there, there's one scene where I was like, where's the God of Light? It, it yeah. is. <laughs> well, as, like, when we talk about, so, um, we were speaking about this off air as well. I've kind of went, I had, I was doing a lot of travel for work. So mm-hmm. I've kind of went into the weeds here, the Reddit weeds on, on season one. Uh, sorry, episode one of season four. And um, there is a lot of theories. There are so many theories flying around. But I kind of feel like she's playing a, a very shrewd game mm-hmm. with the audience here, specifically with how much linkage there is in a kind of superficial capacity to season one. Um, and let me just give you one of them right at the back. Yes, oh. yes. And it, it, it's the start. So there's a quote right at the beginning. I, I have this in my notes too, because I got right. that far. Go, yes, please. Right, so so the quote from this one is from a character or a person called Hildred Castine, um, who, one, never said this line, two, is a <laughs> fictional character, mm-hmm. and three, appears in a short story called The Repairer of Reputations, which is actually under the collection of The King in Yellow, which is directly referenced in season one, when we talk about Carcosa. Yeah. So, like, straight away, like, the, like, the opening scene, I kind of feel like she's like, here you go, right? This is what you want. You want that season one, you want that season one, and watch me swerve away. Like, straight away, although we're going to have some linking tissue in here, um, like, that just feels really playful to me because she's attributing a quote to a fictional character who never made this quote. She apparently, she's the one that wrote the quote, so um, this is her. and duncan (laughs) the character uh that the quote is attributed to Mm -hmm. is best known as an unreliable narrator a great example of that of like you can't trust anything that this guy tells you which is true detective isn't it like that's the theme like i've heard a lot of people talk about what's about the cult it's about you know it's about murder it's about mystery it's not really it's actually about how people are notoriously unreliable witnesses mm-hmm. to our own things. If you ask me to recall something, if you ask me to recall something that happened last week, it's not how it happened. Yeah. Or even if it even if it is, it's my perspective on how it happened, which is still probably not how it happened. And we'll get into like the Fiona Shaw stuff as mm-hmm. well. Like that's one of those oh. things where I'm like, I <coughs> uh, I see what you're doing here, true detective. <laughs> I, I see through you. Um, but we'll get into this. Hey, first, let's let's yep. do our usual thing. Let's talk about a movie, one good, one bad. Uh, we won't take forever to do this because I know we we went long on an intro, but it's our first show yeah. back. So first one yeah, back, so get calm down. Back yeah, off. I say, back off. I'm, I'm like Charlie from Firestarter. Back off. Yeah, this 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 segment here is sponsored, but it ain't my ooh, bitch. Um, so I just, every time you say that I deflate a little bit, like it, <laughs> it kills my soul a little every time I hear it. Like, hey, Oh well, yeah. Give but, me fuel. Oh. Give me fire. Give me that, which I desire. Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> he says, yeah. Um, yeah. 
So I'll give you my yeah, and I'll uh-huh. give you my ooh, bitch, a bad one. Um, so, God. Uh, uh, we, let's not make that a thing, so, please. So, so my good movie um, uh-huh. is probably one that's it's still getting a ton of traction here, but for not the reasons I will give it credibility and thumbs up. Um, I caught Saltburn this week. Um, oh, yeah. A lot of people talking about it. Uh, a lot of people really, really loving it. A lot of people apparently who have never seen the talented Mr. Ripley, and that's fine, um, because that's literally all I was thinking yeah. all the way through this. I was like, oh, I see where this is going. I see where this was going. So a couple of those swift dark turns that, you know, shocked audiences never really necessarily shocked me, but I loved it for how ballsy and ostentatious it was. It, it really is a, a kind of very brash, loud, bold movie. There's one particular scene that obviously has had the internet like aghast that I can't believe that they went there. And I, I'm either like so desensitized to things through watching horror movies and I'll be honest, porn, um, mm-hmm, that maybe sure. it didn't shock me as much as the rest of the world, or there's people just I don't know, jumping in on the kind of oh, I can't believe they went there bandwagon. Um it's got great performances, it's a great thriller, movie flies through at pace. Um, I don't necessarily think, like I said before, I think if you've seen something like The Talented Mr. Ripley, it is it's very, very, very close. Um, but it's a ton of fun. It's darkly comic. And yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought it was a really, 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 really well put together, really well acted film. Um, so yeah, I like that. That's my good uh, this week. What about yourself? What's your good, Bo? Uh, just a quick shout. I was looking up Saltburn as we were talking about it. Written yeah. and directed by Emerald Fennel, who of course did Pretty Young, uh, Pretty Young Woman. Is that right? Yeah, Pretty Young Woman. Yes. Do I have that title right? Yes. Okay. Promising Young Woman. Not Promising Young Woman. Pretty Young Woman is the prequel to Pretty Woman. That's right. Which, uh, by the way, did you know there was? I didn't know this until recently. This is like, don't ask me how I ended up in the deep dive on this one. That, like, originally when. <laughs> When Pretty Woman was pitched as a movie and the premise started going forward with it with Julia Roberts and Richard Gere involved with it, it was actually called 3000. Did you know this story? Uh, This sounds familiar, but keep going. So it was called 3000 because that's how much money he's going to give her. Right, right. Right. And it's nowhere near as kind of warm and fuzzy as it is. And actually, at the end of the movie, he kicks her out the limo, basically tells her to fuck off. Um, And then the director left the project, and then it was bought by, essentially, Disney. (laughs) um, And they brought new people in. And then that all changed, and all of a sudden, Julia Roberts becomes like a Disney princess at the end of that movie, Mm -hmm. Um, which I complete 180. So, um, yeah, I I don't know if I would have wanted to see the darker version of it now, or if I'm kind of happy with where they ended up. But um, I'm just now things turn, Bo. Uh, but yes, um, it's, like, like I say, if you've not seen Saltburn, I would recommend it. I think you'll have a great time with it. I don't think, like myself, you're going to come out of this going, well, you know what? This is how you make a goddamn movie. You're going to come out of it being like, I like what they've done. It feels like a modernising of a, this. You know, the talented Mr. Ripley is the one that I go back to because the stories are very similar. Um but yeah, it's good. It's good. You should check it out. It should win awards. It is winning awards. That's a good thing. Uh, speaking of winning awards, mm. my good for uh, this year week is The Holdovers, which is yes. a great fucking movie. It's just been released over here, so we're hoping to see it next week purely because someone said Paul Giamatti's in it, and I'm like, that sold. It's 
Yeah. I, so I'll spoil the, the movie for you so you don't have to worry about seeing it. Thank you. Um, so it saves me a journey. <laughs> yeah, no, no worries. Uh, no, it's, look, it's Paul Giamatti being fantastic. It is Alexander Payne uh, mm. in, in prime form here. Uh, he's one of those directors. I talked about this somewhere else um, that even his failures, like downsizing, I think is a real mess of a movie, mm-hmm. but it's a really yeah. interesting mess of a movie. Yeah. And, and likewise, I think that, uh, you know, his, his take on, Hey, I'm going to do a 70 style, you know, kind of comfortable drama, mm-hmm. you know, some, something in the vein of a, uh, like Serpico, like I mean, it's not as dramatic as Serpico. Yeah, it's so low stakes. That's the thing I really love about it is <laughs> it's a movie where nobody's saving the world or has to stop a thing from blowing up or anything. And at the end of the movie, everybody's only slightly better than they started. You know, like <laughs> but, so realistic. Then is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, but in a but in a really wonderful way. Like there was a moment when I was watching the movie. This is the only spoiler I will I will give. There's a moment when I was watching the movie where I was like, God damn, the only thing this movie is missing is a Cat Stevens song. Sure enough, next needle drop is a Cat Stevens song. And I was like, of course this is the movie that does this. It is was pain in my brain right now? Is he living there? Yeah, it's but that's what it is. It is like it's like watching Harold and Maud or yeah. something like that, where it's just like the 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 look of the movie, the the fact that it's shot in winter around Christmas and it has mm-hmm. this very uh very Christmassy kind of vibe to it, and the performances are amazing, and Giamatti is wonderful and funny and human and all of those things. Like there's a reason he's winning awards for the role. Yeah. Uh, and and he's very funny at times. It's just a terrific movie. Like everything about the movie is really good. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those movies that I like when you come away from it, you're not going to be like, that's the best movie I've ever seen in my goddamn life. But <laughs> at the more you think about it, the more you're like, yeah, I'd like to watch that again. It just gives you a good feeling when you're watching. Mm-hmm. It feels like you're watching an old good movie for the first time. You know, it's a really, there's a nostalgia play uh, as far as that era of films, I think. Um, But it works because it's good enough to, like, remind you of the 70s era of, like, character dramas. Mm -hmm. When it was like, oh, yeah, Kramer versus Kramer. I mean, that's more 80s, but still, uh, like, that that's a great fucking movie. And that's just about two people getting divorced. You know, that, like, the backdrop to a character these days was the whole movie then. You know, like, uh, we'll get into it, but like night, uh, night country has some of that too, where it's like, oh yeah, here's all this stuff about divorces and who knows who and stuff like that. Like that would be the whole goddamn movie if it were the holdovers. Like that's, uh, uh, anyway, terrific. Anyway, give me a bad movie. Now I'm, I'm dizzy with the highs of Paul Giamatti. (laughs) So I finally finished it. I had started it before and I switched off and I'm, uh, I'm in the process of, kind of formalizing and releasing my top 20 of last year so um i'm kind of i'm at the stage where i'm watching things that i know i start i very rarely switch a movie off but this was one i switched off and i was like i'm just gonna i'm gonna confirm even though i know the internet is that i'm gonna confirm that i actually didn't like it and there was nothing really redeemable about it (laughs) so i finished that new exorcist movie 
And I'd got oh. I'd got about forty minutes into it and switched off. Yeah. Um, I I couldn't I could not go back to it last year at all. In fact, I wouldn't go back to it last year. Um, so I have this time went through it and I like it even less than I did then. Um, that's just I don't know how. Well, I think there's two things. Two two things for comment. I think the first thing for me is I think we should just give up doing anything as a sequel to Exorcist. I just think it's, it's a fool's errand. Not like part three isn't really like part three isn't what even William. Peter Blatty wanted to do. It's essentially what the studio forced him to do. And actually, all the stuff that really works in that movie is the stuff that Blatty actually wanted to do and not the ending which they tag into that movie. You know, the, the Blatty cut of that movie is basically just a police investigation. Mm-hmm. It's not the it's not the exorcist stuff or, 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 or all the other things that go with it. And I think it's because he understood that he'd kind of done that. <laughs> like, he's like, well, I've done that. This is the best version it's ever going to be. No need to do that again. Um, and everyone else is trying to do that again. And it's a, a, like a surprising miscalculation by Blumhouse. Like a surprising miscalculation. Even the Halloween stuff, which did generally... Not very good. But the the fact he spent, was it $400 million acquiring the rights to that to then say we're going to do a trilogy, which... Why? Um, that was the, the they got heady with that Halloween shit. Yeah, and first of all, The Exorcist is not Halloween. No, it's it's a much <laughs> more complicated kind of yeah. kind of movie. When you're like, hey, not only are we gonna do a sequel, we have the sheer fucking balls, the fucking balls to be yeah. like, yeah, we're gonna do three of these. And yeah, like, David Gordon Green's just gonna do the same thing they did with Halloween. You know what? Everyone's along for the ride. Right, and you're like, what the fuck? And he's yeah. gone now. Like he he walked off this, or not walked off, but he he left the sequel. So of course he has. Well, I don't know if he's left or. <laughs> and if... I haven't seen this. I I can't like. I oh, couldn't dude, do it. I was dude, like, I heard this. It, is, shit. I it is. See this. laughably bad. Like like see, you know, like I maybe mean, we talk about movies that have exorcisms in them. The one that was that always comes to mind is I can't like the one that was set in New York. With, with the dude was with Eric Banner. Yeah, that, is that Deliver Us from Evil? Deliver Us from Evil. That's what I think is, is what's in my head. And I remember me and you talking about that movie and got that. Like as soon as we get to the Exorcist stuff, we're just like, "What the fuck are we doing here?" It's just like low rent, horrible knockoff Exorcist stuff. This this movie, when it comes to the Exorcism stuff, makes that movie look like The Exorcist. It is just yeah. awful. Yeah. Like, absolutely, just across the board, ill-thought-out, ill-executed, bad, badly timed, ends in a way, this is the other thing, it ends in a way where it was, like, even, because I was curious, once again, because like, there's a trilogy, so I'll, I'll see why I want to see the end of the movie. I was like, I'll see how they're going to set this up, because I'm, I never want to see another one of these. We'll see how it sets up for another two. And it doesn't actually, it wraps everything up in a kind of neat bow, um, that I was kind of confused as to why would even if that was the script that was put forward, why would even be planning two more out there unless we just spent four hundred million yeah. acquiring the rights and we need three movies to make that back. Um, yeah, I'd like see if I was David Gordon Green, I would want to walk away from that. But I also kind of think that David Gordon Green is really, really, really good at that TV stuff. I don't think he's really all that good at the horror stuff now. I think that. 
There has been sizable diminished returns, even revisiting that Halloween movie from 2018. I've went back a few times. I actually like it less going back when I'm like, hmm, I don't, I don't want to follow that choice there. I don't think that thing holds together. I actually think that's not very smart. Um, whereas the first time I watched it, I came out going that, yeah, this is how you do a, this is how you do a sequel to that first movie and modernise it. Um, so mm. yeah, it's it's terrible. It's it's really 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 bad. And there was um, there were whole sections where I was kind of kind of dumbfounded watching it because I couldn't understand how the studio let this come out. Like, there's parts where I'm like, you're a horror studio? And there has to be some level of quality control there. Although, I've seen Night Swim this year, and that might prove to be the quality control. I listened to your review of it, which was, I felt very even-handed. You were not... I didn't want to completely bash it, but at the same time, the longer I've been away from that movie, the more I'm just like that. This movie falls apart really, really, really quick when you realize that the premise is... There's a haunted pool. Um, <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do we? <laughs> not, not the best. Not the oh, best. The, of the, the bit that got me is we, me and Baz were talking about inside the cinema world like that. There's like there's a, a a a plot device in this which mentions that the previous family that owned the house lived in it for several years and never used the pool. Um, how that would come up in disclosure for buying a property. I don't know. Um, but you know, they never they never used the pool, and the pool is like pretty much the back garden and me and Baz were talking about saying like that you would just fill the pool wouldn't you and just build something over it and he was like yeah yeah that's what I would do and I'd be like yeah that would be the movie over wouldn't it kinda um and or you use the pool yes. once you, like you you would have you never would have just not ever used it because after two years you've been like you know what I've never never been in, the in pool this pool ever I'm gonna do it just, go I, look I had yeah, I, I, you know, I had some pretty good sativa and a couple of drinks. <laughs> Ooh, I'm gonna just yeah. cannonball, cannonball into the fucking pool. Um, yeah, yeah right. I just, I, I could not. Uh, I, I think, and it's, it's not fair because Blumhouse put out Megan last year, a movie that I really enjoyed. So, um, yeah. they're obviously it's it's a wide tent, but you would think you can forgive a movie like Night Swim, which cost not a lot of money to make. To make mistakes like that, but this is a movie which cost a lot of money. Um, there's a lot behind this one, and I just kind of feel that someone should have sat down there and went, is This is the direction we're taking it. <laughs> like, I don't know, you see what I mean. All I'm gonna say is, It's not just one possessed child, it's two. I there are odds, Duncan, that I will did the. the, the it's not just priests that come to do the exorcism at the end. They get holy men from but, all yes. religion. Like, it's like fucking Captain Planet, right? And, you know, like... <laughs> yeah, that's what I've heard. I was like, that's... <laughs> it's like, that, like a shake Power Rangers. Like, there's a guy going, Buddha! Like, <laughs> like, like, like I, I bring Buddha power! <laughs> Duking him with... <laughs> his sense of it's oneness. Ju- uh, yeah, mind-blowingly bad. It's... So... Yeah, as soon as I heard that, I was like, I that misses the entire point of the exorcist. Like, I'm not Catholic, but the trappings of Catholicism are really important to that story. Like, the exorcism is like, there's a reason, there is a reason that William Peter Blatty himself, um, no, sorry, uh, William Friedkin himself said, I don't look at it as a horror movie, it's a family drama. 
Because guess what? It's a family drama. It really is when you look at it. It's a family drama. It just happens to be the scariest family drama ever made. Whereas this is this is yeah, someone yeah, yeah. attempting to make a horror movie um, and just kind of showing uh, all the trappings of how not to make a horror movie on a big budget. So yeah, that was my bad. I'm curious on your bad because you always bring you always bring the goods here. Some fucking some low heat. rent, fucking found footage, like asylum movie. I, I haven't. I genuinely have not had time to watch the the amount of shit I normally watch. <laughs> right. Um, like I my. Honestly, my viewing has been surprisingly <gasps> quality. Like the the last few movies I've seen are like, you know, I watched Black oh, Swan so again, good. and I watched Air and uh, know, Barbie, yep. and like like I watched a, across the Spider Verse. Like I watched a lot of really good movies. Um, so let me talk about it. This isn't entirely right. bad. Mm-hmm. Okay, I look. <laughs> Who doesn't like to shit I mean, on a thing? We all do. I like yeah. it, you like it, everybody likes it. This is not a, I am shitting mm-hmm. on this thing. I am saying I'm mildly disappointed <laughs> in this thing. But I still Which enjoy it. Which might be it. an even bigger slate than saying I hate it. It's not that I hate it, I'm just mildly disappointed in it. So It is, right, I wish it was better. <laughs> um, but, so I'm talking, of course... About uh, Reacher season two. Oh right, I've not watched uh, on any Amazon. of this yet. Okay, look. <laughs> okay. Oh, <dear>. So <laughs> let's <laughs> let's let's talk briefly about Reacher mm-hmm. season one, but only only briefly. And Reacher season one is a great example of a television yep. action series. And there are some great moments in it. The um, have, have did you finally get around to watching House of Usher? I, I have not watched House of Usher. Yeah. Okay. Well, the the actress who plays the young Madeline mm-hmm. Usher, the young Mary McDonald, essentially, who plays uh uh her in Flanagan's mm-hmm. House of Usher, is like the romantic interest in Reacher cool. season one. And it and it's got some good characters, and it's all about this dude who's just a fucking behemoth. Yeah, well, I've seen that. I've seen the Tom Cruise Hulk. movies, right? Which I know at the time the, the <laughs> issue was Tom Cruise is not Jack Reacher from the novels, but at the same right. time, Werner Herzog is the villain in the first Jack, like the first Jack Reacher movie, and that will always like you have me if he's a villain in a mo- if he's in a movie, but he's like yeah. a. Siberian missing fingers, no eyed fucking Bond villain. I'm like, yes, this is yeah, the greatest yeah, yeah. thing I've ever seen. But yeah, they're not, they're not, they're Tom Cruise movies. And I've heard that the yeah. your Scientology <laughs> is Can shit. You imagine them on set. That's the thing that I couldn't get my head around. Is like that. Werner Herzog is not backwards at coming forwards with his opinions, and he's on set with Tom Cruise. Like Mr. Scientology. If Scientology was a person, yeah. it is now Tom Cruise. And I'm just assuming they were kept well, they're not they don't share many scenes. So I imagine they were kept apart right, right, right. a lot. But what I'd always heard was um from fans of the novels was actually no 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 no. Um it's you know, these are Tom Cruise like action movies. They're not Jack Beecher adaptations. And what I'd heard about season yeah. one was Actually, they're more in line with the novels than the movies were. So put them to the side. And that's why he's like six yes. foot three and built like the side of a fucking brick shit house. 
Yeah, and and that's one of the things that's really fun about and he, and he's a good character. He's like very no nonsense. It's very this is right, this is wrong. I'm always going to do the right thing. His whole gig is that he like was in the military for a long time and uh left and now just wanders the fucking earth like Quan Chang Kane getting into adventures. Get, like he doesn't have an address, he doesn't keep clothes like when he's done with his clothes, he goes into a store and mm-hmm. buys new clothes and throws the rest away. And like that's it. That's just he, his only possession is a toothbrush. That is it. <laughs> you know. But and then he goes and gets in adventures. And it's fun. The, so getting to season two. Season one set in like this little rural town where Jack Reacher is this fish mm-hmm. out of water was just showing up to watch a blues guy uh that he'd heard about one time because He's got a bus pass where he goes all over the country and never, you know, never stays in one place for too long, et cetera, et cetera. And it was fun. It was a good time. And so season two has gotten into like, well, here's some some people from his past, like people that he was in an investigative unit with in the military and they're embroiled in some shit. So it's become much more of an ensemble Mm -hmm. story, which is fine. But there, that means there's less of Jack yeah. Reacher saying some cold shit to a dude and shooting yeah. him in the yeah. face. And that's yeah. what I'm there for. Yeah. It's a danger of bringing in, or expanding things out, is you do lose. And I'm so, I, this, I've said it many times. Yeah. My biggest gripe with the Child's Play movies were not that they got dumber. They were always kind of fucking dumb. It's just now all of a sudden I have... Jennifer Tilly as a doll, and then we have the fucking David Bowie son as a doll, and right. I, I get to a certain point where I'm like, I like, where's, why is Chucky only on screen for a little bit doing a one line, and then we're following other people, like getting in mischief and killing people? The reason you're going to check out a Child's Play movie is to see Chucky, and like, if you have a TV show, yeah. which is predicated on, like, there's a reason like season four of the Littlest Hobo didn't have like a corgi. Like solving crimes on the side, you know, like you don't have that, you don't need it either. So, yeah, hmm. it's it's fun. There's still plenty of fun stuff, and Robert Patrick is in it, and there like were Robert a Patrick. couple of line yeah. deliveries. Yeah, where I'm like, oh, he that's like when he did the movie. I, <laughs> yeah. I did. Uh, he sounds a whole lot like that in the movie. Um, so anyway, did you ever check out? Did you ever check out? Um, you probably did because you watch a lot more. You have, well, you just just in general are more skilled than I am. Did you watch Poker Face? Yeah, I oh, fucking yeah, it was great. Loved that because no yeah, one yeah, had yeah. told me. Like, yeah, I watched yeah. it on the plane to Japan, and no one told me it's basically Colombo. Um, and as soon as as soon as that penny dropped about the second episode for me, I hardcore binged that entire thing from fucking Dubai to Osaka. Like I like like, like I watched every <laughs> single episode. Um, yeah, and it's thought, terrific. Like, Where's my season two? Which I don't know if we're getting, but we need a season two. Fucking amazing! I, look, I, I, this is very true, Detective. Well, doing yeah. the pivot, but yeah, I mean, like take as yes. long as you <laughs> yeah. need to. Just come back and it'd be as yeah. good as season one, and that's fine. Hey, all you need is some mysteries and N- Natasha Leone. She, her, her, Peter Falk is fucking amazing. Like, it's <laughs> so good, man. The, you know, there, there's one other thing that yeah. I've been 
just yeah. I kind of love. I what I love about them is there's always the elaborate setup at the beginning, and then yes. you find that she's been there for a week or something, and she's like, like. But I love the bit where like she's you know she's just about ready to go, and then someone lies and she's like, "Fuck!" Like just like yeah. you can see her just go, oh, fuck. you know, I was almost out the door and fuck. And that, like the shitty dog she had yeah. was terrific, <laughs> and like yeah, there's just like so it's a mind. it's a wonderful show. Yeah. So much. Um, all right, let's take a quick break here. Yes, and then when we come back, let's get into it, Duncan. Let's talk some True Detective. Woo! And welcome back uh, as we get into season four, episode one of True Detective. Uh, this is, of course, written and directed by Issa Lopez. Mm-hmm. Uh, as part of her, uh, good work on this show. Um, was there a show title? Did I miss it? This is Night Country. The, the, uh, right. True Detective Night Country. I don't know what the name of this episode is, if you're asking. So I don't know if there are links back. Yeah, that's... So hold on, let's see. If You'll find out. A, this is this is what people expect from us. Both prepared. Like it's hard hitting, but like you already stole uh, my my bit about the. the oh, there's so much the more. Like there's so much more. So don't worry, we are having no shortage of stuff here. We're, we're, within the first five minutes here, we have connections to Edgar Allan Poe, Jules Verne. Like fucking like th- the shit goes weird quick, Bo. Yeah. So yeah, it just says part one. Well, that that was that is completely, all. I- <laughs> that was a worthwhile search. Anyway, so it opens with a quote yep. that goes: "For we do not know what beast the night dreams when its hours grow too long for even God to be awake." And this, as you pointed out, is attributed to this character uh, from you know a book about the the yellow king and mm-hmm. so we're, so we're into some shit duncan what instantly it's maybe is like maybe one of the most overt true detective true te- detective things the show has ever done straight like it's just the opening bit you're like that oh right here we go here we go well and and it's worth noting like two and three much less so but mm. season one flirted with the supernatural oh god yeah in a big bad way, and this is just like, oh yeah, we're let's start from that place. Well, she where said, all the Yellow King shit is. She, she said that she wanted um, in interviews. She said that she wanted to do an inverse version of season one, and um, when she went back to the rewrite. So we have two female detectives looking into this. It's not in the sweaty, warm southern climates of America. If anything, it's on the exact opposite ends. We're in Alaska, completely inhospitable environment. Um, so yeah, like like she's inverting a lot of this. But the one thing she said she wanted to do, and this was, was a direct quote from her, is she wanted to lean into the horror and supernatural elements, which like I think she fucking like made no qualms about very 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 quickly in this one. But um, she some very cheeky references to be sure. Hundred percent. And yeah, so like we, we are like we're straight away linking straight back to season one with a quote. But like you mentioned, uh, the quote is well, uh, the quote is not attributed. It's attributed to a person who never made that quote, but also at the same time, the person that made that quote is a notoriously unreliable maria so like you take that f- as you will moving into this season um which has a, a beginning which had my head spinning like the opening scene to this is like absolutely fucking nuts yeah 
So it starts off Alaska. Yes. We are told. 150 miles north of the Arctic Circle. Mm-hmm. It begins on December 17th, which is the last the last sunset of the year. Yep. And immediately you're like, oh, they're about to get 30 days of <laughs> There's Josh Hartnett. Uh, <laughs> or what, what's his name? Ray uh, Winstone? Is that what he was in is that? Ray Winstone? Is Ray Winstone in that? The, the main vampire? Oh, and Danny Houston. Danny Houston. That's, yeah. look. Look, Ray Winstone, Danny Houston could be... <laughs> brothers if not <laughs> yeah all those uh english mob movies uh like i i would like to actually see a cut of the departed where ray winston is actually played by danny houston as the underboss to good yeah. luck like no god a hundred percent remember that's the whole scene where she's like that oh please god and he's like no god and then yeah right creepy as fuck yeah uh so anyway we watch as this native hunter mm-hmm uh, is taking aim uh, on all these, like, caribou or something. Yep. Uh, and then the sun goes down and all the animals freak out and stampede towards him. Uh, you know, they get spooked. And it's, yep. it's it's like this really creepy scene of, like, all, oh, the sun has set. Yeah, they all run off the like. edge of a cliff to their death. Yeah. Like, which is just, like... Dude, like, part of me wanted to go and check, is this normal behavior for a caribou? Like... <laughs> Did they become lemmings? I don't know what we're doing here, but they all they all they all jump off to their death, and he seems mm-hmm. spooked by it, and they all get spooked at the same time. Something weird's happening here, and it's not actually indicated as to whether or not this event happens at the same time as the event happens in the station. So it's like a triggering point in the station that we're going to get to in a second where something happens and then we don't see what happens afterwards. If that actually happens at the same time as this, I don't know. The thing that's frustrating about this is because the show starts with like, hey, here's a a made up quote from an unreliable narrator. How much of our eyes can we trust in watching this show? Because depending on who's telling the story that perspective could be very different. So that's a very season three thing where yes. we had a, a character who was suffering essentially on set. Was it Alzheimer's? I think is what, mm. what it had. So as a result, what we were seeing was not like he, he was flashing out and his memory was notoriously bad in certain sections where he just couldn't remember or his recollection of we had that kind of memento connection where he was actually recording himself things or writing notes to himself to try and make sure he didn't see certain things or say other things. So we are given that as a, as a kind of opening gambit to this before we turn to essential. Why are there any research stations in Alaska Bowl after the movie, The Thing? It's like the last thing you would want to have is, you know, where am I being sent? No, I've seen The Thing. I'm not doing it's, that. Oh, The Thing vibes in this are so heavy. There's it's like a copy of The Thing in yes. their collection of videotapes at the station as if that's what they're... Like, if you're on a boat, you want to watch Titanic, you know what I mean? Why mm-hmm. is that in this? You know what we'll do, guys? We'll all just sit around in our isolated station and we'll watch The Thing together. I'm sure that'll bring us together and, as a close-knit group. <laughs> and we're going to do a tracking shot down a hallway and see everybody doing their shit. And, like, it's Issa Lopez just like, you want a little The Thing? Here is a shot from The Thing. Yeah. She literally and, that her 
three biggest influences from a horror perspective on the making of this season are uh, John Carpenter's The Thing, mm-hmm. um, Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, mm-hmm. and um, Ridley Scott's Alien are our three biggest influences. And I'm like that, like from the just this, just the premise, just that, that opening shot, I was like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So that tracking shot right in, it's very Kubrickian, it's all out there, it's all very weird. And like you see, you get to introduce to all the characters, but Bo, little details on this one. So the name of the station is the, uh, the yep. Uh, Salal? Salal, right. So yeah. Salal, apparently, once again, according to the Reddit users, a direct reference. Oh, this is so good. This is like a <laughs> fucking full-on direct reference to Edgar Allan Poe. So apparently his, and I've not read a lot of Poe, but um, his only long-form novel is called uh, Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. okay. Right, and at the end of that book, he ends up um, out on these... Antarctic islands, mm-hmm. a group of islands, which are called Salal, um, which are apparently inhabited by cannibals. So, indigenous cannibals. Salal, right? Which was apparently then taken and then adapted into a further novel, which Jules Verne then put out. Um, a full story about this, right? So, Salal. So, it comes directly from there. So, this is a full-on Edgar Allan Poe fucking full-on, kind of weird Lovecraftian reference, right from... Like, she's hitting you with a one-two punch. She's giving you the king in yellow, and then she's giving you the fucking Poe name right out there. So, yes. Um, straight away. So, uh, you've got to think deliberately named. <laughs> straight away. Yeah. I, I, so, I was unfamiliar about the Salal stuff. I mean, it seemed like it meant something, because it's such a weird... Word. Well, there's apparently but, the so the Jules Verne novel is called an Antarctic mystery, and it partially takes place on the island named Tassal, or, or Salal or Tassal, where indigenous people attack white colonists. Um, the Tassal people are seemingly killed off by disease before an earthquake destroys the island. Okay, all right. So at this research station, mm-hmm. Duncan. Uh, like, like we talked about, people are like nuking their food, uh, <laughs> yeah. watching Ferris Bueller's Day Off, specifically the twist and shout scene. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which just made me want to watch Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Like, I've yeah. not seen that movie in about a decade, and I saw that scene and was like that. Is it time to watch Ferris Bueller? Probably. It's never a bad time. Yeah. Is it like the, the scene where they go to the museum is yeah. secretly the best scene of the movie. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so, you know, there's a dude doing laundry mm-hmm. and then we cut to a guy like making a sandwich and practicing his spanish or something i think he's or doing like, he's doing a tiktok or he's doing like a like an influencer video as what he's right doing. he's filming himself making this which i imagine is ultimately going to come into play somewhere down the line where we see if it was if it was broadcast and it wasn't just purely filmed i imagine we're going to see footage of the broadcast and what happens in the media after effect because there's no cameras around which because the person that we're about to talk about is right behind them in the shots so you would imagine his phone camera would cover it right and and this guy behind him just gets the shivery shakes yeah the shivery shakes. and then stops <laughs> and then he turns around and says she's awake and then the lights go out yeah and so then we cut Duncan mm-hmm. to December twentieth, three days later. Yep, and it's a guy coming to make 
deliveries, like food deliveries up to this research station and nobody's home. No, <laughs> literally no one is home. This is right. very Mary Celeste. Like when, when they go on here, like the food's still out, you know, the treadmill's still as pause setting. Like there's mm-hmm. all indications that people were there just a couple of seconds ago. Dude, let me tell you how much I love a story like that. Like Mary Celeste, the Roanoke story, mm-hmm. all of that stuff. Anytime it's like, we don't know where they went. Yeah. There were a bunch of people and then something happened. And yeah, the, like the uh, the bowl of soup was still on the table yeah, with yeah. the spoon in it. And like, they just got up and left. That's like yeah. to me, that's like, it engages you yes. straight away as a, I want to know what happened here. A hundred percent. So I'm on board for that reason, if no other. And but th- this guy makes the mistake of saying, hey, Funyuns. <laughs> and it's like, well, look, don't come with your trash snacks if you're looking for help here. <laughs> you know, give me something decent. What's a better snack to be shedding? Hey, I got help. some uh, cheddar and caramel popcorn. <laughs> like the big bad kind. It's really good. And, and there's a lot more uh, caramel popcorn. <laughs> Than in the usual mix, because sometimes it's like four cheddar to one caramel. That's yeah. just not enough. It's a long drive up mix. here. I just opened it, took a couple of handfuls, but can tell you right now. I'm snack. eating as we're talking. <laughs> That's why I need a hand. Probably up with a bit none left. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do like this idea. This guy's showing up um, <laughs> like that, and like half the food delivery's gone because you know he was never sleeping while driving. <laughs> When I get nervous, yeah, I, I, had to, I had to drive overnight. I'm not a great night driver, and I'm a nervous eater, so <laughs> I just... I'll tell you, the, getting into the cans of the Dentimore stew was rough. <laughs> but I got a electric can opener here, plugs right into the dash and the cigarette lighter. <laughs> Why wouldn't you and have just... that if you were a long-haul driver? You wouldn't... Oh, man. I, I, all I gotta do is put the can... On top of the cigarette lighter for a minute, heats it up, and just like mom used to make. He's, he's doing this entire monologue while he's walking along, like, trying to find people. Not only is he a nervous eater, he's a nervous talker, a nervous that's monologuer. Why, that's why I could use some help, and also a toilet, because this Denny Moore beef stew is really doing a number on me. It's really moving right through me. I think it's all the sodium. Uh, so a little, a little help. <laughs> he's standing in the he, he gets to the main kind of wreck area and he's just standing there and then all of a sudden he's kind of like oh bar fingers uh drops his keys or something and then ends up looking under the table and there's a fucking human tongue right yeah that's the point where he's like oh i better call somebody hey please <laughs> this is, is daryl listen uh it started off when i started eating the popcorn on the way up here <laughs> Please show up and he's at the tongue because he's a nervous eater. Get the evidence. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is definitely uh, a native woman because she licked uh, a oh, fishing line. No, 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 no. It was just Daryl. He started that, chewing chewed on, it. on it and realized he didn't like the taste of it. He's a nervous eater. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, like, there's no one in the. We've jumped forward three days. We'll mm-hmm. obviously parse out that. They've clearly been gone for three days, or something's happened in the immediate that's led to them fucking disappearing. But um, yeah, everyone's gone, 
and all there is is what appears to be a human tongue, um, mm-hmm. and that's our that's our setup. And but that's in true detective style. That's not really that's a mystery. But we always have to have the thing that happened in the past as some sort of weird connective catalyst to get us to where we are, and we're going to be introduced to essentially our two police detectives who are our, going to our run together. Detectives. Yeah, yeah, who who at one point were kind of close, but are now estranged. And guess what? It was a case, a case they worked on together, Bo, that split them apart. Mm-hmm. And one of them is Clarice Starling, who yeah. had a real rough time after um, Marion Hannibal Lecter and... Um, uh, you know, in the books, and then, or in the, in the novel, uh, watching Hannibal chop his hand off, she was like, "I need to get a new job. I'm going to Alaska." Um, mm-hmm. Still, I'm going somewhere that Hannibal will never go because he only likes warm countries. Can, can we talk about how good this credit sequence is, real quick? Well, it's, it's, it's Billy Eilish, isn't it? So, yeah, yeah, it's a song called "Bury a Friend." Yeah, which is fucking great, and it's just like I, I don't. I've listened to. I've got a nine-year-old daughter, so there's the occasional yeah. Eilish song that plays now, and I think she's very talented at what she does. Mm-hmm. But the whole credit sequence is just dripping in fucking Twin Peaks mystery, and I kind of like the the Peaksy and stuff like the Peaksy and stuff that piqued my interest um, mm-hmm. comes thick and fast with this. But it's this just really really cool kind of like like kind of almost heartbeat sort of tempo that works through um, lots of imagery of stuff that is actually ticked off in this episode. But other things, there's like like there's a rocking chair just moving with like a, a like a polar bear toy missing an eye, and there's there's loads of weird shit, but. I forget how great the credit sequences to True Detective are. You know what I mean? You forget. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like there's so many shows that now just do that off of your know, It's just that's written into shows now. And True Detective might have been the first show I can think of that fully it's- just did it. As yeah. a kind of concept and intro, I remember the Jinx did it as well. The TV show, the drink, the Jinx, the documentary on uh, Robert Durst. Um, it had something, but I don't know which one came first. So I'm going to say True Detective likely came first. And yeah, every show has it. But instantly I was like, what are they going to do? And then they were done. I was like, yes. Mm-hmm. It's it's so good. And when I was watching uh, this, this episode the second time, mm. I accidentally hit season one, episode one, and yeah. got a, a little bit of that opening sequence. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is... <laughs> A yeah. banger. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the, the, I I had to point out this Barrier Friend song. I think is fucking great. Mm-hmm. It's real stripped down, yeah. and that goes uh, goes along with the whole theme of the show and yep. the feel of the show and everything. Oh, it's so good. So all right. So then we go to a fish packing plant mm-hmm. <laughs> and are introduced first to Navarro. Yes, who is the non Clary Starling true detective of this season? <laughs> Total badass in real life professional boxer. So is she really? Yes, I, I didn't know yes, that. She, she's fucking stacked. I would not want to get on the wrong side of this woman. She could fuck me up, Duncan. <laughs> I mean, in a way, like most people could. Let's. Yeah. It doesn't matter, male, female, doesn't matter. But her in particular, there, there, that scene where she is fucking that guy. Yeah, and you get. You know, not the full Monty, but just seeing how she is built. Yes. And it was like, holy fuck. Yeah. So like, she is, is she's she... a professional boxer turned actress played by Callie Reese. Um, and yeah, she is, you know what? I really like, 
Thank God she's fucking that Jason Momoa looking motherfucker because she needs somebody that is well, built not, equally like a brick shit house. She will kill a mortal man. Yeah. <laughs> Just with a thighs. Um, yeah, like, yeah, she'll Zena on top of you. <laughs> on accident, not on purpose. Like, Zena on top did it because it gave her that sexual thrill. Yep. Not. No, not she's by accident. Navarro. You, she's like, you yeah. Sneezes, you're dead. <laughs> right. She's just like, look, I'm sorry. You were frail, like a delicate bird. And I, I need. Well, like she, she shows up when you say, um, it's this, uh, fish packing plant. There is a guy with a, a messed up face lying on the ground, unconscious, like <laughs> uh-huh. on death's door. Um, and there is a woman comforting another woman, kind of putting a cold compress on her eye. And we're being brought in. And the, what's interesting about this is the guy that's bringing um, the detective in is kind of trying to pivot towards the unconscious guy on the floor and not mm. the woman looked after, because that's the culture. Um, and she's instantly across to the woman to find out what actually happened and did she. I love it that she just kicks the guy on the ground to make sure he's all right. There's no checking the pulses. Or she's like, yeah, yeah. Hey, he's, out. he's out. She's still alive. Um so she walks over and starts quizzing uh, this woman. I, this is kind of me, like, did you did you fuck up this man? <laughs> did you, like, did, this <laughs> this mess over here. Did you make this mess yeah. over here? And we get we get like essentially we get a bit of background on this one. This guy is a complete shithead of a character, abusive boyfriend, has been tormenting the ever loving fuck and beating the shit out of his partner. She has left him. And he, for whatever reason, because they work in the same plant, um, which you imagine is probably a big industry here, like everyone mm. works at the fishing plant or the mine that we're going to talk about later on, um, basically asks, like, what happened? She's like, yeah, he came in here and attacked her, so I picked up my metal bucket and I fucked him up with it. Um, yeah, the, the way she puts it is, like, asshole hit her, so I hit the asshole. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm like that, like, eye for an eye. Um, yeah. And well well, done. Yeah, (laughs) this guy comes to, and as he's coming to, like she slaps a cuff on him uh, after taking him down again. Like he tries to try some bullshit on her, and she, like very very quickly. Once again, if you were thinking maybe she just lifts some weights, no, she'll fuck you up. She like restrains him on the ground, slaps a cuff on him, and and takes him away. Much to the the supervisor's dismay, he kind of feels like this should be the other way around which mm-hmm. kind of speaks to the culture once again. But we're introduced to her. She apparently is a... What did the class her job as? So she's not an actual detective. In, she's a trooper. A trooper, right. So, like, America has weird... To, yeah, like, yeah, in yeah. my country, it's the police, right? And you have different grades within the police. A, a trooper is someone that sits... Generally, like, road patrol, right, that kind of right, thing. Right, right, cool, 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 right. And yeah, so yeah, it, and from where clearly where she was, she has been bounced down. Yes, and we will and find like, out a lot more of that soon. So yeah, so yeah, because Navarro gets a call, looks real sullen, mm-hmm. and we'll find out what that's about in a second. But first, to uh, Clarice Starling. Look at your you can, you've been holding like the, literally <laughs> our chat for the people out there. Our chat back and forwards has been borderline ridiculous. Um, like any, like this is it's almost as if this yeah. show has given it, it gave us. It was like you want. Let's see if we can get Duncan and Bo back together. We'll give them 
some true detective. That'll get them back. And we're like, yeah, we see what you're doing, HBO. And they were like, oh. right, it'll be set in the snow and it'll be a murder mystery. And we're like, oh, well, it's reference all your favourite horror movies. And that's kind of cool. And it's like, going to give you Jodie Foster. And we're like, oh, shit. Yeah. Have to and do guess it. what? The tigers are not afraid, lady, is going <laughs> to do it all. It's like, all right, goddammit. <laughs> so, yeah, we apologize in advance if we, we, uh, Absolutely butcher your love of Silence of the Lambs by making so many <laughs> references to dialogue. It's look, it's been a running concern on this show ever <laughs> since there has been a show that we're mor- is... morbidly obsessed with that movie. Yes, <laughs> yeah. And to those people who would argue, like, why would you want to watch something that is full of such horrible imagery yeah. all the time? I would respond. Tovins the nipples, doesn't it? <laughs> the thing about like the thing I love about that, <laughs> Jodie Foster is she's obviously she's getting on in age, right? Mm. And actually, she fits this role fucking. Pe- she is cold. Yeah. She is brutal. She's matter of fact. She's kind of fucking amazing. Like right from the off, I, I'm just like that. As soon as she walks in, I'm like. I love this character, and we're, like we're gonna—I imagine over the next five episodes, unpack a whole hell of a lot of stuff in her past. But as it stands just now, she is in charge of the police department. There, she's been called in. She's the lead detective. She's been called in um, to the Antarctic station to do some investigation on an empty. What is an empty uh, research station? As and when she walks in, and she's met with that clip from Ferris Bueller's on loop, and literally the first thing she's like, "That where the fuck is it?" And we need to switch this off. Like she's like, she's like, turn the fucking music off. Yeah, it. Yeah, I like all the stuff you say about her character is right. Like I think it's also worth pointing out the the town that they're in yeah. is a place called Ennis. Yes, and it's in it like is a small Alaskan town. Yeah. And I mean, it, it's civilization for sure. It's not, you know, kind of frontier civilization. You know what I mean? So yeah, it, you imagine right, the crimes feels, there are not. It's not like fucking. It's not blue collar crime. You know, or it, like right, it's, it's pub it's fights. Poor Stacy showing up, getting yeah. drunk, and running like yes, that yes, is the kind exactly. of crime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and then we'll get to Stacy in a minute. My the, the star of the episode, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> <laughs> Stacy's way of getting out of jail is kind of amazing. Yeah, it's well. Yeah, we'll get to it. Uh, but it's so being called to this station and not really knowing what's going yeah. on, other than hey, nobody's here, and we found a tongue, and already like the antenna is up. But yes, she like cruises into this garage, mm-hmm. uh, joined very quickly by John Hawks. Who, like, I'm like this already, like, the show has given us, it's like that, it's like that, just, hey, listen, we've got you, here's, like, here, here are just some great actors that are just here to play in this world, and John Hawks is, I love him, like, I love him in everything, and he's playing you very John Hawks character, which also he's makes me kind of happy. It, but he's kind of a doofus a yes. little bit in this, which is an interesting shift of gears for him. But I don't know if, like, I've got some theories, I don't know if he is kind of playing a doofus and he's actually maybe more shrewd than he actually okay. is in relation to the case box why does he yeah. have the case like maybe he's on the payroll we'll get into that a little bit more I think he might be a bit crooked 
So. Yeah. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. All right. All right. right. Yeah. You know okay. what I mean? We'll get, I think we'll I think this. he may have been holding on to something. For because, a because they do point out that he was sheriff at the time. Yeah. And that was before he ever got... Yeah, Jodie Foster is quick to say, like, the Annie murder was before she got there. Yes, I, th- I think there's maybe a reason why. Also, why... Like, there's a scene later on where I was like, all right, maybe you're not... Uh, you know, maybe you're just playing this role to an extent in front of people. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. It, okay. might, it might not bear out to be anything, but I get a feeling that something may come out with that character um, and other vested interests with big business in the area. Okay, gotcha. Yes. Yeah, yeah, because we yeah we'll talk about the mind mm. stuff as that that comes up. But yeah, so she rolls in. Uh, it's the first time anybody's really been inside the research station because mm-hmm. it's a research station. Like you know, they they kind of are hands off with this group, and the whole time she's like, uh, "Doctor Lecter, I can't find my." <laughs> 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 The fact that everyone is called Dr. Lecter. (laughs) (laughs) Well, naturally. (laughs) And uh, she's like, by the way, uh, who the fuck is playing Twist and Shout over and over again like that? Because I'm going to have to rip a cocoon straight out of their throat. (laughs) Tell me, Chris, is the Ferris Bueller still playing? (laughs) God! Yeah. (laughs) So... <laughs> they go in and they're all like they're it's clear that she's a lot better than well i'd be interested to find out where she came from because she's just infinitely a better police officer than anyone else in the room right yeah i like the fact that as she's searching for this remote to turn off twist and shout which is playing on a loop yeah. um the cop the other cop is like looked it doesn't open it doesn't open it doesn't open yeah. and finally she gets to one that does yeah and he's like oh all right yeah <laughs> like, so they've obviously yeah. tried one and being like that this doesn't open or maybe not even try like maybe not even giving it that much effort that another detail that i like about her and we're about to get to is that she's happy to let people not make a fool of themselves but happy for to let people like give their opinion on something before she then tells them why they're wrong um yeah Instead of like instantly shooting down, she's like, "What do you think happened here? Or how do you how did you come to that?" And then she's like, well, "Here's why you're wrong." Because, and then she lays it out matter of fact. So she hears this guy say this to her, and she's like, mm, "That doesn't sound right." <laughs> like, and then she mm-hmm. guys continue, and then she finds it, and then all of a sudden the sounds off, and she very quickly tells you that she does not like the artist who performed this song. She is not a fan at all, and I, I wonder if we're going to get more. It did feel like a very, 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 very extreme reaction. Yeah, I, well, there's so much, like you said, yeah. that's alluded to in in her background mm-hmm. uh, that we just can't possibly have a frame of reference for yeah. just yet. It's too early. <laughs> uh, but I do. This is also the scene where you get a very clear shot of the copy of the thing on the yes. shelf. Where like, <laughs> and I'm like, I, I, I see what you're doing. But boy, it, like a motherfucker. <laughs> she, I, w- one of the moments I really like uh, here is when she's like, "So who pays for all this?" And one of the guys is like, "I don't know, grants or something." And he, and she goes, "Are you asking me, Doctor Lecter?" And he's like, "No, I guess I'll look it up." And he's like, yeah, I think that'd be a good idea if you did. 
how about you do your I don't know goddamn job? <laughs> you played that. You played a game. A game of quick pull call with me. Like, like yeah. that, that. Do we have to share secrets for you to go and access this computer right now? Nah, things uh, about yourself. Um, so yeah, let, let me go away. They start pulling up details about the station itself. So this mm-hmm. is the Sal Research Station. Appears to be all men. Yes, all men. Um, all men, different ethnicities, different age ranges, mostly in a kind of mani- mani- uh, molecular biology and geology. And there's no clear remit of what they're doing, but it's kind of it's hypothesized that it's something in relation to um, global warming and studies in the area. It's very, very, very big, and. Yep. The way they phrase it is the origin of life. Yes. Is what they're, because Danvers, Jodie Foster is like, oh, that old thing. <laughs> it's, uh, oh, chesters, really. Uh, but, yeah. And, uh, yeah, so, like, they're pulling up all the files of all the different people. So we get a, a view of who they all are. So it's relatively well manned station. She's working her way round, so she notes that the the treadmill, for example, that the Asian doctor was running on, it's still a kind of pause setting, so it's asking if he wants to resume this. So he stopped it at some point. So and then she's looking around at like there's a beer, there's a bowl of popcorn, like in the TV room. And she comes to the sandwich. And this is where her and John Hawks have um the first of our let me bitch slap you with just I don't know like investigation details here and there's a lot of backhanded comments so it's alluded to that maybe they've been in a relationship at some point yeah all right before we get to that just to point out that in her journey she also finds a whiteboard where someone has written (laughs) we are all dead yes someone has maybe (laughs) don't come looking for us we're all dead (laughs) yeah so, but yeah, to I think the way that I'm reading it is the deputy is their kid because it, yes. she talks about him going to her dad. Like, it's one of those things where they don't talk to each other real well. Yes. But there's a lot of your mother and your father when they're talking to him. Yeah, but she's also got a kid. No, no, from no, no. another no. relationship. Is... It's not her kid, but it's from another relationship. Where she yes. has essentially, it's once again, it's alluded to that he died, and she's just now, essentially, still looking after this right. kid. So she's assumed kind of the mother role in this this thing. That that kid is kind of of kind of native origin as well. So yeah, it, it's just it's, and like the family dynamic here is just make the whole police dynamic, family dynamic straight away. Everything's just messed up. Nothing's clean here. Like this is right. a small. Like you said before, this is a small town. Everyone kind of knows everyone intimately. Mm-hmm. So um, <laughs> like we look at these like that. Yeah, I, I think they've been missing for you know, the sandwich here. Not very long sandwiches. You know, there's no no like the the ham's still not moldy or, you know, it's kind of still soft. And she's like, huh, how about that? And he's, so she's like, well, I'll tell you what, what I want is a flyover air search thing. Um, 15 miles, I think is what she says is the mm-hmm. radius. is what he's looking for. And he's like, whoa, 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 sheriff. <laughs> like what we're we doing here. Like this is overkill. You're going to panic people and all the rest. And she basically, she lays out factually why from this one sandwich, 
she knows they've been gone for more than I don't know a couple of hours, and they'll come back in from a jolly in the snow. Like, <laughs> well, it, it's coupled with a real bitch slap towards <laughs> yeah. John Hogg for being a shitty dad because it's, huh? I, I see what you're saying there about the ham, but <laughs> everybody knows, Doctor Lecter, that this kind of ham is processed meat. It could last with the apocalypse, <laughs> but more importantly, Doctor Lecter. Look at the mayonnaise. The mayonnaise. <laughs> she says the mayonnaise has now got like a custard consistency, which yeah. happens after it's been outside for more than 40 hours. Um, so she reckons it's probably 72 hours, which would make sense with the three days later thing that came up mm-hmm. at the beginning of this scene. Um, By the way, did you not see the crawl at the beginning of the <laughs> this scene? Clearly, it happened three days after. And then she basically says, you know, I I get all this from having to make sandwiches from my kids, and I know that you probably never really had to make many sandwiches for your kids, and I'm just like, it's such a dick move. Because the the guy she's going around with here, who's been doing computer investigation and all the rest, is John Hawk's son, right? Yeah. And like you see, it's their kid, yeah. Kind of alluded to that. This is her, you know, like this is their offspring, and yeah. they're basically standing over a sandwich, and she's basically calling him kind of a shitty parent. You, know? <laughs> like, <laughs> you were no, you were never much of a making sandwiches for the kids kind of dad, <laughs> yeah. were you, Doctor Lecter? <laughs> so, um, so like we're instantly set up here. Something really weird's going on. The it looks like from the point when that sandwich was made, no, like nothing has kind of changed. There's no visible yeah. signs of any... That's the other thing. There's no visible signs of blood or anything around here. Out with the scroll along there. And that's right, the human tongue. Right, and we talked about this uh, a little bit ago already, but this is the point where, you know, they're like, hey, are you sure that uh, this tongue is, comes from a, a Native American yeah. woman of this area because you could tell by the scores... Uh, yeah. on the tongue he and it, it's that, another moment yeah, the young cop thinks it's someone biting the tongue and she says no this is the, like the repeated like of threading like fish rope or whatever it is through your tongue you inherently get a groove it's common in a lot of women that work in the industry in the area and we're like that huh that seems like a real specific detail that you would know Jodie Foster I wonder if there's ever been I don't know a crime that's happened in this area where someone's tongue was missing I don't know yeah. maybe Maybe. It, all right. So between this mm-hmm. and and that, yeah. you know, of kind of getting some answers about that, there's a very quick scene with Fiona Shaw. Welcome to the show, Fiona Shaw. Yeah, we love you being everything, please. <laughs> yes. Um, is skinning an animal out on the tundra. Yep. Um, Tuesday. This is this Tuesday's activity. It just and I, some of the details I really like in this show are where you see like people who have a bunch of canned food and shit just stacked in the back for yeah. when hey when it gets snowy and nobody can get here we want to make sure we've got plenty of supplies yeah um, and this is a woman who just lives out on the edge of nothing mm-hmm. and is uh, is making her her living out there and she is skinning this animal and then she sees somebody named Travis. Standing barefooted in, you know, pretty casual clothes for it being nighttime uh, in Alaska. Right. So do you know the Travis theory? I mean, clearly this is, I mean, it's a ghost to her. 
Yep, but do you know how Travis connects to True Detective? How does Travis Right, this is where, like, this might prove to be nothing, but this is literally what the internet is, like, creaming themselves over at the moment. And episode number four of season one of True Detective, uh-huh. Rustin Cole says that his dad lived in Alaska and his name was Travis. Oh, so it could be M- what, Matthew McConaughey. What people mom? are saying is he does have a striking resemblance with a straggly hair to what Rustin Cole would eventually look like. Yeah. And at the end of season one of True Detective, when they're talking about their events in Carcosa and how, mm-hmm. you know, like Rustin Cole almost dies, he says that, you know, like when they're talking about the lights beating over the dark, he talks about like almost leaving his body and seeing his dad. So there's now this kind of internet assumption that this Travis character is Travis Cole, um, mm-hmm. which it might not be, but the fact that he is kind of supernaturally appearing and in a later scene doing something very similar to the swishy swishy of the sky that was in season one, that mm-hmm. maybe this is one in the same. Is that another nod? Which one's like, I just can't think this... Of all the names in the world and all the places in the world, it kind of feels like if you're Elsa Lopez, you're like, oh, that'd be fun. You know, that's a fun detail yeah. in there. Might lead to nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in season three, we obviously had the connecting tissue there where they talked about the child abuse case covered by Russ and Cole and fucking Woody Harrison's character from that. So there was a link there as well. So this, once again, exists in the same universe as season one. I yeah, I, I mean that's very specific. That yes. feels like something that could be totally legit. Well, it's, it's the name of, the of all the names in the world: yeah, yeah. Travis, a white and guy, Alaska. Lives in Alaska. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? And and so. Issa Lopez clearly understands that part of the fun of this show it's is this discussing shit. the show. <laughs> it's like it's all this. I believe it's called like the 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 general term for this is the psychosphere. It's what yeah. it's called online of where people like like watch a TV show and then instantly try and unpack mysteries some of them clearly in there some of them kind of alluded to fun play and some stuff that people are just like conspiracy theory to the end degree they mean nothing but let's try and give it meaning and but this one does feel like a kind of oh right because we get another one very fucking fast like super super fast here um with the connection to the dead body of annie key um, which I don't know if you picked up on, but I'm happy to talk about that as well. So, uh, yeah, so Travis appears, a kind of ghostly weird, almost from the fucking Red Room character. Um, <laughs> Dude, when he's doing the dance, I was totally reminded of Firewalk with me. 100% like, what I was yeah. waiting for is um, to turn around and say, let's rock. I mean, I was like, yeah. what are we doing here? Like, I love it. Love everything about it. Yeah. It, it, yeah, it's terrific. Yeah. And... Anyway, so then we go back to, with Danvers back to the sheriff's office yeah. <laughs> where Navarro is waiting for her to be like, hey, I hear there's a severed tongue. Yeah. Remember the Annie K case. What's going on? Yeah. And Foster and- shuts her down real fast. Like, this is a putting you in your place. Two steps away from saying, fuck off. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, it, I don't know how you heard about this. Maybe you're just following your spirit animal or whatever. <laughs> and that led you here. You know, some of that mystical bullshit that I don't believe Is in. Is your spirit animal a lamb by any chance? <laughs> because if it was, it wouldn't be screaming right now. 
it'd just be really wrong. <laughs> well, I put them. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> and Navarro is 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 just like yeah, my you know spirit animal eats old white men like or old white ladies like you for lunch. Yeah, and it's a light I don't really like that much in that scene. And she's like, yeah, well, whatever. I'm rubber and you're glue. And perhaps you can investigate what happens. You know, my spirit animal eats pieces of shit like you for for dinner. Spirit animal eats pieces of shit. I mean, that's not what I meant. Pow. Yeah, and then she gets a call from this mother at her kid's school. It's just like, I don't have the bandwidth for all of this bullshit right now. Um, it is it is coming fast and or furious. Yeah. <laughs> and sure enough, she has to take off to go she has to, to the take, next scene. She like physically has to take off. And you're kind of thinking, oh, has her kid got in trouble at school? No, no, no. This is a parent. This is another parent where the kids go to the same school. And um... <laughs> it is, dude, in her face. Yeah. Like the kind of righteous angry that parents get yeah. where they're just like, I've got, I'm about to unload on you. And jo- and to her credit, like Jodie Foster knows her kid fucked up. Yeah. And is not like arguing against it too much. She's just like, I know, I know. Yeah. Uh-huh. I know. <laughs> yes, I'm a piece of shit. Yes. <laughs> my daughter's a piece of shit. We're a piece of shit family. <laughs> we, yes, we live in a toilet bowl because we're all pieces of shit. Yes, yes, I know. You fucked my wife. You fucked my wife. Okay. <laughs> right. I fucked my wife. You fucked my wife. They fucked my wife. Um... <laughs> And then she gets back at like Jodie Foster gets back at the SUV after getting the, this ass ramming yeah. from this mom, and she's just like, "Well, I hope you're fucking happy, Doctor Lecter. <laughs> that sucked. Were you watching that? That fucking sucked." So it's alluded to that on the phone, basically, her now kind of surrogate adopted daughter um, and her classmate, who she believes is only fifteen. Um, are mm-hmm. engaging in sexual activity in which they filmed themselves doing it. Right. And right, yes. and the mum's and... filmed it on the phone. So it hasn't made its way out, but the mum of the other kid has filmed it on her phone and is rightly fucking furious about this. So Yeah, and, and Jodie Foster is giving her the business about, like, are you fucking stupid? <laughs> Do you not know that that can get out online? Yep. Are you just an asshole? And she's like, I didn't think about all the criminal angles on this. <laughs> well, you fucking should. I'm a cop. I'm a. You are the daughter of a cop, and also quit rubbing vag. <laughs> just look at the cop and put it and recording it with a 15 year old. I'm the motherfucking police up in this bitch. Yeah. King Kong ain't got shit on me. And as the, as they're having this argument, there is a surprise car accident right in front of them. Where we're introduced as, to like Bo's favorite character. It kind of is Stacy Chalmers, drunk again. Stacy Chalmers. Well, there's gets, a guy like, from the window, like across from like that. Is that fucking Stacy again? That is the best part. Is the guy going? Is that goddamn Stacy Chalmers down there? And of course, Stacy. As soon as this car wreck happens, and Jodie Foster's like, "Wait here, I gotta go see what's going on," and gets out of her car and starts to approach. Stacy Chalmers already getting out of the car, like, "Yeah, ready yeah, to yeah, yeah right. <laughs> drunk as shit." And then- hey, my baby's leaving me. I know I'm not supposed to be out here. And Jodie Foster's immediately like, 
are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. You are not supposed to be even driving. You don't even have a license right now. Yeah. Like she like full on cop slams are right into the front of the car, handcuffs on, um, and arrests her for rightly reckless driving under the influence driving, driving without a license. I imagine yeah. the list goes on and on and on, but this is once again, small town, Alaska. Yes. Probably. And you see what happens. She's probably going to sleep it off and then be released. It is right next door to an Otis the Drunk situation. Yeah. <laughs> of like, here's the keys. Go put yourself in the lockup. But, but like, there's a moment where Jodie Foster realizes, like, she's being rough with this woman. Yeah. Because she's just had a shitty day. Yeah. And it's kind of coming out on this lady. And her daughter's watching. Yeah. And she's like, God damn it. I am just, like, nothing is going right. Yeah. And she gets back in the car. And the daughter is like. You know, I just just so you know, she was sixteen. Yeah, she's not fifteen; she's sixteen. And Jodie Foster is just like, Jesus fucking Christ, kid! <laughs> Lock, and, take the wheel, take the wheel. <laughs> I mean, has just like this day cannot get worse. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so then we go back to Navarro, who is waiting outside for a dude who's involved with. The, the Annie K case. Yeah, so this is and this is this is a, this is the big mine that the the town of Ennis makes its money from. Um, yeah, and this dude comes out. This is the brother of Annie K. Okay, that that's what I was going to ask. I was unclear exactly what his relationship. Yeah, this was. is the brother. He's mentioned later on as well, and Navarro plays it off as if she has to make contact with him because she's not. But you get the impression that she periodically checks up on the brother to make sure he's all right. They, they seem to they have a, a relationship comfortable enough where he's like, that. Ah, do you want to go for a drink? And she's like, ah, and he's like, that will come back to mind then. She's like, ah, I suppose so. Um, and then we go back to this guy's house where he offers her a beer and she says, no, no, she's not taking the beer. And then he offers her some of the, he's like secret stash or something. And she's like, no, we're not doing that either. Cop. Um, and she asks specific questions of him. So the, the, the detailed question here is, did his sister ever mention anything about the research station? And we get a, right. a bit of background here from the brother as to what Annie was actually doing. She was a local activist who appeared to have a very, 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 very strong feeling about the mine, its practices and its effect on the environment. And as a result, it made her really unpopular because her brother basically said, listen, I tried to tell her she wouldn't listen to me. If the mine closes down, the town dies. Like there is no town anymore if this mine closes down. He says that in the last year they weren't speaking to each other. And actually, one step even further, he'd be kind of happy if she, you know, just wanted to let this case go now. Like, enough times passed. He's kind of. I think he's resigned himself to the fact that he's never going to get resolution from it. Enough times passed, um, and. Well, I kind of like, like the the thing about this is, and I, I think it's another thing that True Detective does really, really well is the idea of like detectives carrying cases with them, like this unresolved business. And all the way through this episode, um, she is you get that obsessive nature that she's had to like kind of resolve this case, and everyone that she's speaking to is kind of like, let's move on. And you find that the Jodie Foster handles that a completely smarter and different way, uh, where the emotional side doesn't get locked in. But, you know, she's like, even talking to the brother, and the brother's like, you know, you don't have to keep doing this. 
you know, we can let this go. If you don't have like, if there's no, if you don't have to continue investigating it. I've kind of made peace with the situation, and we can kind of move on. Um, and Navarro kind of is, she's respectful in the situation, but it ain't going to happen. Yeah. Um, another thing that I, I would just add to the list of, hey, here's some interesting information we're given in this scene, mm-hmm. um, is not just, you know, here's Annie's background. There's a point where it, it's when he's offering the beer yeah. and Navarro just asks for water instead. And he's like, I, actually, the water shit, it has been for three days. Yeah. Which I'm like, oh, timeline. Okay. So three something days. is going on. Something weird is going on here. There's something happening here. And there's also a point, we we haven't talked about this yet in this scene, where he asks her at a a certain point if she believes in God. Yeah. So, mm, yeah, yeah. It's a good scene. Yeah. And she's like, well, yes. And then there's this flashback to when she was on a tour of duty in the must Middle be Afghanistan East. or something like that. Yeah, Iraq, Afghanistan, something like that. And she sees um a woman who's like literally half her head is blown off. It's yeah. a real like Gus from Breaking Bad kind of situation. <laughs> yeah. And leans down and whispers something to her and we don't get what she says, yeah. but clearly something that affected her. Uh, affected Navarro, and when we cut back to her, the guy's like, ah, I wish I could do that. I, you know, I believe we're all alone. And she's like, oh, I didn't say we're not all alone. Yeah. It's just that God's alone, too. Yeah, and that's what links back to the opening quote. Yeah. Which and is then the idea of, like, even God sleeps. So... <laughs> right. And we get another phone, phone call saying, well, it happened again. <laughs> like, like, there's a lot, like, I would hate to be a police officer in this place. <laughs> it's like, there is no downtime. Like, even when you're getting downtime, even when you're getting some downtime with your, your beloved, uh, which is a young yeah. man we're about to go to in a couple of scenes, is like, he is, like, he's about two seconds away from being knuckle deep and he has to answer a phone call out of hours for something that is not actually case related. It's like extracurricular cold case shit. Yeah, so this is Navarro's sister that we're about to yes. meet. Who is... So we get a couple of, of uh, establishing shots of the town here, too. Mm-hmm. And you see a lot of, like, there's broken signs and bingo parlors and stuff like that. Yeah. And to s- sort of suggest that there's kind of a seediness well, to t- this small t- town. Tends to be around any community where mining is... Like, if, you, if, you're, like, if you're working in the mining business, and I don't want to generalize... and. It, in total, but anything around mining or oil or like these are heavy industry towns um, is generally sex trading, gambling mm-hmm. are the are the two things that like take root very very quickly because when people are I don't know isolated working their fingers to death manually um, when they finish they want to get high get drunk and fuck so yeah and so we we're getting some of these vibes. And then Navarro shows up at, at a door and there's another trooper there that's like, hey, I want to give you a call because, uh, you know, she's locked herself from the inside and said somebody was in there with her. But it just sounds like she's a little having an episode again. <coughs> this is yeah. something that's happened before. And uh, Navarro does get inside and we understand like, oh, this is her sister who has some mental health problems. And had moved there, had yeah. like moved to Ennis, Alaska, 
one presumes so that Navarro can kind of keep an eye on her. It's also alluded to in here that their mother like had mental health issues, like bad mental health right. issues. And because the sister's quick to point out that she's not like their mum. Um, mm-hmm. And she, Navarro basically says, you know, if you were though, we can get you help. And she was like, no hospitals. No, 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 absolutely not. That's not why I came here. Um, and maybe I made a mistake moving here. And so like Navarro's not only got all this weight on her shoulders, but she's looking after a sister who appears to be exhibiting similar whether it's bipolar or, or, or whatever it is, appears to be suffering something very, very similar to what her mom suffered. Yeah, like schizophrenia or something yeah. like that, yeah. Um, we get, uh, as, as we move away from this scene, we're getting some more shots of the town mm-hmm. as Navarro is kind of driving through, and there's some whispers going on. There's whispers all the way through this, scene. by the way. Yeah, it's, it, it's real creepy and weird. And then we get to, back to the sheriff's office where Stacy Chalmers... <laughs> Is voicing her distress. Yeah, she's basically she's ecto one here. Like <laughs> it is just wailing. I, I really love it. Just somebody that's just like <laughs> I mean, she is just letting the the but place. But she's know. doing it because in the past this is apparently how she's got out. Like like she's done this more than once because the t- like <laughs> you have you have Jodie Foster and Jodie Foster's possible son um, are in a room together, kind of going over. And this is it's cut off here, but they specifically talk about how the station's being funded. Like, yeah, so where yeah, the yeah. money comes from. Um, and he's saying that, uh, like, he's like, uh, you know, uh, and I'm assuming we will eventually get back to this because we get that some of it comes from a particular part of industry, but there's also this in the year in the background, and she's like, right, we'll just keep talking through this. And then all of a sudden, she hears the door open to the cell, and, yeah. the, and she's like, oh, no, fuck. So... They go straight out, and uh, John Hawks is letting her out. You know, stays. You just go, you sleep this one off. And Jodie Foster's like, uh-uh, she's still fucking drunk. Like she's not yeah. even slept off the booze. And we get this great line of, I like. He's like, I'll take her home. And he's like, yeah, like, I know she blows you sometime. Like, <laughs> which <laughs> right in front of your possible son, right in front of his father, like just in front of her as well. <laughs> she's like, what would? Well, and. They call out like he's got some mail order bride from Vladivostok, yeah, yeah, that is coming to live with him. And it's like, listen, she's coming over for Christmas, and we're going to get married. And she's like, oh, a Christmas bed, and how festive! <laughs> yeah, she's pretty. Like it couldn't be any less judgmental. Her her delivery of these lines, she's just like you piece of shit. She's like Jodie Foster is such a fucking good actress. Like I love her in roles like this. She's just great. Yeah. Yeah, well, she's got a real edge to her, yeah. and and it really suits her. But anyway, so we follow. Well, the, she says uh, at the end, the they put her back in, and she basically oh. says, "Listen, uh, by the way, I want the Annie Key case files." And he's like, "Why would I have the Annie Key case, case files?" And she's like, "Remember, you took them home after the flood." And he's like, "Did I?" And she's like, "Yeah, you've got them." And he's like, "Oh, okay, well, I'll maybe take a look." And she's like, "When's that going to happen?" And he's like, "I'll get a rim to it." You know what I mean? So it's like this is where I was already starting to think. Mm, you seem to be really shifty about that. Like, no, not in any hurry to do anything about this, which could yeah. just be like you said before, general buffoonery and obstructiveness because they were used to be in a relationship. So he's trying to be awkward, and she wasn't exactly nice to him beforehand. But the other part of me is like, you know, like if this is a cold case and this happened in your Tim, you would kind of be like, 
or ask more questions, which he doesn't do at all. He couldn't give less of a fuck about this conversation at all, which kind of makes me think, hmm, could could he maybe just being paid to look the other way? Who knows? We will find out. Yeah, I like that theory, though. I'm on board mm. with this, of, of him being secretly, like, having covered something up in the past. Yeah. And I, there, there's a real, I, I'm already getting kind of ghost story vibes where it's going to be like, oh, a bunch of people did some shit, and then this is being visited upon them. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so the deputy, uh, our son, like Jody Foster and John Hawk's kid goes to, uh, his home <laughs> where he's got, uh, a kid of his own called Darwin, Darwin. Yeah. And, uh, he is married to, um, a native woman as well. Yep. And, and they seem to have a pretty good relationship up to the point they're about to start dry humping. Well, in front of their kids. Well, the thing is, like, the kid has drawn a picture of essentially, once again, the, the internet gives and it takes away, but the internet has given to you uh, an Inuit uh, deity um, mm -hmm. who is a woman missing fingers. All her fingers are chopped off. So, according to what I read online, uh, this mm -hmm. is a, a kind of fabled story about uh, like a kind of princess whose father punishes her by essentially trying to drown her. And as she clings to the boat, um, that he is kind of peddling away from her. Um, he takes an axe and removes her fingers, and each of these fingers drop into the water and become their own entity. Um, mm, okay. And th this is the, this is what she's drawn. So there's a kind of there's a kind of hint to the internet is speculating that because this is a kid drawing something kind of sinister looking, and because. True Detective has in season one, season three, and this season had a kid's drawing indicating something supernatural or case related that this could be this could be linked somehow but he's basically like why is my like, fucking four-year-old drawing a blue woman minus fingers dripping blood and she's like oh yeah she was at the grandmother's like the grandmother looked after her at the laundry and he's like that and they're doing this and she's like well you know uh, she's helping out because you were working late and um you know She's there to help, and yeah, like, what's wrong with giving the kid some stories about his heritage? And he's like, that. well, if the kid has nightmares later on, it's okay if we, you know, you talk to him on the phone and explain why he shouldn't be terrified by this fingerless woman. Right, uh, right, right. And she's like, yeah, yeah you handle this, yeah. yeah. She's like, you're such a white boy, and then they get, they get down to, like, some heavy pain. Yeah, wow. and, like, I'm, look, this show has long been a proponent yep. of this very thing. Yeah, you if, should if, you should be fucking. And then the phone starts ringing, and he's like, I gotta get the phone, because I'm, like, the police here. Yeah. And she's like, uh-huh, but let's keep let's keep dry humping in front of our child. Well, it's the and fact that the name on it is da Danvers that comes up on the thing, and she's like, "Just what, what does Danvers want? You don't have to worry about this, and it keeps ringing. Like, so. Right. Basically, she's like, it's, it's not the police, it's just your mom. Yeah. And she needs to stop calling because you're finger banging me right now. Yeah. I'm, into it. <laughs> I'm about three seconds away here. Let's just focus. Yeah. <laughs> and and he shoves her off, and I'm like, "You fool! Yeah. What are you doing?" And and then, sure enough, uh, it's Jody Foster saying, "Like, look, uh, you need to get something from your dad's house, Doctor Lecter." <laughs> it's like I hate it when you call me that. 
<laughs> so she says you need to get the Annie K box and he's like, Oh, do I have to and she's like, Yeah, you need to do it now. So then we Well he, he yeah. says no and yeah. she's like, Oh, I must be hearing something on the line and there must be some kind of interference or something because I thought I heard you say no and clearly you would never say no to your mother, yeah. you piece of shit. <laughs> I raised you. Um, so, like, so he goes to the Hawks, yeah. Yeah, he goes to, like, John Hawk is painting the room fucking the bluest blue colour I've ever seen. It's an obnoxious blue colour. But he's got the roller out and he's kind of, he's kind of, he's just finished painting a bit and he's kind of standing back and he's remarking over the amazing blue room that he's made. And um, at this point, the door goes, he answers the door to his son who comes in and he's like, oh, what are you doing here? And he's like, that. I was speaking to Darwin about getting a picture of me when I was his age so I can show you. And he's like, oh, cool. And then they walk in and he's like that. Huh. It's blue room here. And he's like that. <laughs> and the first thing he says is, it, is it too much? Is it too blue? And he's like, I mean, he's like, so-and-so likes blue, whatever this Vlad of Ladstock mm-hmm. woman. Um, and he's like, eh, it's not too bad. And then there's a, a bit of silence and he's like that. It's too blue, isn't it? It's too blue. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I kind of hope that, like, in like a couple of episodes' time, there's a different shade of blue going on the wall. Um, yeah, but a, he's, a he's running like, gag where it's a different color every time. Yeah, he's like, that. "Do you want a? Do you want a beer?" And he's like, "No, no, no I'll just go and get my." He's like, "I'm going to get a beer." So they go away. He goes into this room where there is shitloads of case files, just like all over the place, which apparently John Hawk saved during some flood. Um, mm-hmm. and he's stored in there and of course he instantly finds the Annie K file he can't take it away in front of his dad so he opens the window and basically drops the file outside and as he's just closing the window his dad comes in and says show me what you took and he reaches in his back pocket and brings out a photo of I think it's him with his mum yeah he's like, yeah I didn't know I had that picture yeah anymore. I didn't know I had that anymore and then he basically he, like the, the room atmosphere has completely changed he's like that watch slippery shit out there um, and then we cut to, I think the next scene is him taking the case files, or do we jump back to No, there's the a battle. quick insert of Fiona Shaw oh, right, following Fiona. Travis. <laughs> like, like, Travis is like that, follow me, but he doesn't speak. Yeah. And she's like, oh, I will follow you. And he's like, yes. And they're just walking out in the middle of fucking nowhere. Yeah. It, yeah, in the middle of nothing. He's and not then the shoes, we, and he's wearing yeah. long johns. <laughs> he's wearing like like... It's not like jeans or anything like that. It's a pair of long johns, like thermal, thermal, like tights. Yeah. It's yeah, the clothes you wear under other clothes yeah. to keep yourself more warm. Yeah. So they're walking out into that. And yeah. Then and and then we go to the son showing up at Jodie Foster's place yeah. with all the Annie K stuff. And we, we get the information about that crime, which the gist of it is. She's found. It was it near the mine that she's found. She's found near the mine in a container. Um, yeah, she is. She's brutally stabbed um, thirty-two times. Thirty-two times. She's missing her tongue. Yep. And, Star-shaped entry wounds. Yes. And there's no murder weapon found. No murder weapon found. Her tongue is missing. And originally, she's like she like, she kind of tries to pass it off, and then the kids like, well, maybe I just take the file back to my dad, and she's like, you can't fucking like bluff for shit um mm. and she's like right i'll give you some more information and we get more information on specifically navarro's connection to this so navarro was the investigating officer um and she she's the one that was brought in to first view the body and she would not let this go and she started like questioning a lot higher and more uncomfortable people 
around this one, specifically the owners of the mine. She apparently rubbed people up the wrong way. Jodie Foster was then at some point brought in um, and Navarro was taken off the case and busted down to Tripper, essentially. Mm. And we'll get more detail about that later on, but this is kind of the thing. And, of course, the kid's like, and you think this is related? And she's like, no, 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 I just want to take a a look over the file. Once again, Jodie Foster playing it very close to the chest. I'm just... I just want to take a look over the files, you know, read up on them and whatnot. So we get the feeling that, I, like, like Foster thinks there's something going on here. Like, Danvers is all over this. She's like, right, this is, is too bizarre to be a coincidence. I'm going to take a little look back over this case. That it turns out she actually was very well read in before. So it wasn't a case of right. you're off the case and then the box goes away. She had looked into it at the time. Yeah. And... There's a great moment where, uh, you know, her son is pressing her about the case and she says, this is never going to be solved. Yeah. You know, the, if you want to know who killed Annie, the town of Ennis killed Annie. Yeah. And nobody will ever answer for this. Yeah. Um, so she, she's a bit of a fatalist in that way, but we also see that like, she's still, working it she's, know, still she's, still she's doing her job she's she's yeah. doing the true detective thing which is well that a case is never really closed until it's closed yeah you might not be diverting all your attention to it but it's in the back of your head we also get there's a shot here of um initially when she's talking about this um and we'll get more when she does the true detective putting out the pictures and that great scene where she puts them out in a spiral bow um mm. but um we do get a shot of her back, and Anniki has a tattoo. Did you see this tattoo? Uh-uh. It's a spiral tattoo from season one. Oh well, of course. The black line. Fantastic. You see, you see the bottom of it. So she had that on her on her back. So once again, probably going to go fucking nowhere. But I'm like, oh, <laughs> pointing at the screen. Oh, um, like fucking Leonardo DiCaprio and uh-huh. fucking Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I'm like, oh, I'm there. It's the the emotional equivalent of like when you go see a band and and they replace uh, <laughs> the name of a city with your town Ooh. in a song. Oh, that's what that's, that's what I am. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so she they know got, where they are. <laughs> so she's got a she's got a tattoo. Um, yeah. we're going to see okay. more about cool. this as it as it kind of passes out. But uh, yeah, we're going to leave this scene. Uh, yeah, and then we go with Navarro. We've talked about this already, where she goes to this dude's house named Kavik. Yeah. She and lets just off fucks him silly. Yeah, she lets off steam here. She like, and we find out that Kavik is he's oh he's a bar owner, I think, and he's also yeah. he makes his own homebrew that he tries to give her, and she's like, "Remember, I'm a cop, so you shouldn't be even talking about this." Seems like a decent guy though, and also seems like she is working out some shit. Yeah, and I think he's he, just like, yeah, I think he's like, it's indicated that maybe he wants something a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah, because he, you know, once they're done fucking, which, like, just watch that scene, if nothing else. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> it, there is that moment where he's like, hey, next time you call, I'm not picking up the phone. Yeah. And she's kind of like, yeah. But you get the feeling that maybe he said this before, and she's like, yeah. Right. Man. And she steals well, and his toothbrush. Which his, his SpongeBob SquarePants toothbrush <laughs> that he likes. And because he was he offended that he she was using it. Yeah. Because she was like, "Hey, you don't you don't use other people's toothbrushes. Yeah. <laughs> That's gross." And then she just outright steals it. He's like, "Hey, 
I'm naked in bed and it's, you know, a degree outside. I'm the motherfucking police. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, so she leaves with that. She's worked out some stuff. Um, But her night isn't even over uh, because everything's fucking... Is this where we cut to Jodie Foster in bed sleeping? No, 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 no. We get to... No, two things. There's her daughter showing up, you know, her adopted daughter or whatever... Who is like, hey, are you know, are you okay about today? Because there was the drunk driver. Yeah, it's something about my mother. And Jodie Foster is again like, I don't have bandwidth for this. Just go the fuck to bed. I don't have time to think about I think, I your think dead that, mother I think, right I, now. I, I, yeah. So there's well, no. I think the indication is well, she says that you don't have to be my mother. I think that I think yeah. the insinuation is that the dad, the person that she was in the relationship, died of drunk driving. I think that's what it is. And she's like, you know, you don't have to be my mum. I think that's that's what I picked from it. So I think that one of a, the parents is dead because of a drunk driver. Hundred percent. We are gonna we are gonna unpack that some bit because that was like very quickly dismissed. Yeah. So listen, I'm gonna go and take a shower now. Um so we're gonna we're gonna get into their relationship, how that family dynamic works, but also the reason that maybe we were like you hypothesized earlier on, she's having the fucking worst day. She's just seen her, her daughter fucking clam banging another woman uh, or another girl and she's just had my, to- my fa- yeah we didn't talk about this my favorite moment of all of this which yeah. you she's like i had to watch it yeah like she's literally seen this right yeah. and then she sees someone like in a, a an accident drink driving and that violent reaction you thought was told that before but it's indicated that actually that violent mm-hmm. reaction may be because she lost a partner so and when i say partner i don't mean cop partner i mean as an although it could have been a cop we don't know um or Who's like the, yeah parent of this kid so yeah so that, well, there's a lot we're going to find that hopefully some stuff there as well so there's some breadcrumbs there uh, what's the other scene then before we and so the, the other one is navarro with that case of Bud Heavy, she's carrying out and a bottle, a bottle of Bailey's, and she's just yeah. like, "This is a fucking this is this is what's required." I've like, I've not been, I've screwed this out of my system, and now I'm getting my drink on. <laughs> and yeah, and she passes by Bucket Guy from the uh, who's basically the talking about how he's going to get her back. Yeah, and so also Navarro, he's out. By the way, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, so once again, as an indication to this town, he beat the shit out of his girl, and now he's walking the streets. This Shelly woman fucking was drink driving, crashed her car, could have killed someone, and she's likely going to get out. It's like, this: does anyone actually get prosecuted here, or did they just sleep it off in the tank? Yeah. She also uh, dumped some of the Baileys in the dude's gas tank. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, just to, you know, Give it one last fuck you. <laughs> um, and then this is the the moment, finally, that you alluded to yeah, earlier. Yeah, so we get two is... Lincoln things up here straight away that then link back to the opening scene in the Antarctic station. The first one is Jodie Foster's in her bed, and as she's sleeping, she has this kid's hand come through, like, over a very fucking Jew on the grudge. This hand comes over the top of her, and is speaking to her, and she calls the kid, it's like a boy's name that she mentions, and I can't remember what it is. It's like Holden or something, Harold or something like that. And the voice says she's awake, and she wakes up, there's no one there. Um, Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Navarro has a similar situation where she's in her car and she's driving along, and we're getting all these whispers constantly, and then she hears the, you know, she's awake, and as she's stopping the car, he 
fucking polar bear with one eye, like one eyed fucking polar bear, walks across and stares right at her. Yeah. Um. So we get that scene, like so, like once again, they're hearing the same thing that the the scientists heard, and then we we jump into our first proper kind of true detective true detective scene, and this is right. You know what? We're going to break out the coffee. We're going to break out the case. I can't sleep. Let me go back through the photos. Jodie Foster literally takes all the case file photos out um, and then starts interspersing them with the people from the station that are missing to see if she can find anything at all. And as she's holding a picture of Annie Kay, who's wearing a pink kind of duffel coat thing, um, she's like, hmm, that rings a bell. And she scans back through and she finds that one of the researchers is wearing... A coat, and as she examines the same coat, the same pink coat, as she examines Annie Kay's one closer on the left arm sleeve, there is a tear. And when she looks at the photo again, someone's put a, a essentially a patch, and it's a smiley face, the yellow smiley face patch, is over the same arm, and she's instantly like, you know what, that's, you know, that it's too much of a quinky dink. I'm going to go back out to the station here. So she heads up to the station, she walks in, she hears some noises, she's a bit jittery, I'd be jittery as well in a fucking empty station, and um, she calls out the person there, I've, you know, I've got a gun, um, she's got a gun, um, and um, <laughs> uh, instantly, you've got to bring them back, this is what the people Yeah, I, I was like, I can't believe that we didn't already get to a, he's got a gun! He's got a gun! Um... Uh, and then Navarro comes round, and then we get a bit more of their interaction. So it appears there's some sort of handover here at some point. So, like, Navarro was still investigating the case when Foster's character, uh, Danvers, was brought in. Well, she had been, tra- yes, Navarro had been following the case. Yes. Yeah. Because she found the body, yes. as we learn in this scene. And it just, like, she's never been able to let it go. Jodie Foster comes on uh, after John Hawk steps yeah. down. And she's like, hey, you ought to look into this case. Yeah. And Jody because they have a good working relationship. And Jodie Foster is like, nah, nah, it, uh, that's not a good case. Mo- I think what we learn, though, or what we're learning about Jodie Foster is that she, it's not because she didn't look into the case. It's because she didn't see any clear evidence to yeah, move forward. She, she, she couldn't see any way to move forward with it. And because um, Navarro wouldn't drop it, ultimately she is the one that asked Navarro to transfer it to the trippers, um, which is mentioned here. So she's behind that. And of course, uh, Danvers is like, you know, I, like, I didn't do it because like a malice or anything like that. I just did it because you, you weren't going to survive this. You wouldn't let it go. Um, yeah. And they then have this kind of talk about what's well, so why you're here, and she's like that. Well, I'm just you know looking kind of curious and all the rest. And she's like, well, I'm just looking to see if any of our possessions here, like a shoe or like a necklace. And Danvers is like a coat, and she's like a coat, and she's like, you did look into this, and she's like, yeah, of course I did. Um, and she's like, well, I'm a, I'm a great fucking cop. The sooner <laughs> you get your head around that, the better. Yeah. Um, and Navarro says something about you know we always carry these cases with us and. Uh, uh, Danvers is like, well, no, we don't. Um, you know, like, I really like that moment. Yeah, yeah. Like, like not everyone carries them. Even though she clearly has, there's like there are some people that can be more pragmatic with the job and less personal with the job. You also find out that like one of the big 
reasons that uh, Navarro could never let this go is one that happened to an indigenous woman and she felt that it was swept under the carpet. She basically says if this had been a white woman, you know, you guys would have never fucking stopped. And that's when Jodie Foster's like, listen, I wasn't even in charge of the case here. I wasn't even here when it happened. It was you that failed the case, not me. Like, you were in charge of it. You Like, you didn't solve it. It's not my fault. But we also find out that the like the extent of the details it wasn't just when Foster explains it it was the stabbing and the mutilation it's the detail you get from the Navarro here about like once she was dead they kicked her ribs in you know they continued to beat up mm-hmm. and uh, you know and, like butcher the body um physically abuse the body and just that that shit's beyond it's like it's so fucking evil that you know, she's never been able to let it go it's, it's never left her um they can't find the jacket though like at all, and um, we get right. more kind of pity remarks about her spirit animal and her spirit. Like, what's your what's your spirits telling you? Meanwhile, uh, crazy. <laughs> and lady, her response is, uh, yeah. "My spirit animal says you get a real shitty fucking attitude, <laughs> right? which I love. Which is very funny. Which, which redeems the spirit animal like yeah. pieces of shit like you for breakfast. But meanwhile, we jump to uh, Fiona Shaw's character. And she's getting the full Red Room treatment. Like, she's getting the fucking, like, Travis is doing, like, interpretive dance and yeah. kind, of, kind of spooky shit. And then it all culminates with him pointing to an area on the ice. And we see her kind of look over, but we don't see what they all see. And then we get the phone call at the research station where the kid's like, listen, um, like, Fiona Shaw's character, Rose Agnew, uh, she's... She's seen something on the ice, um, and then we essentially cut to them arriving on the scene, and this is like some real fucking. And once again, to mention references, Elsa Lopez said as inspirations for this directly, she influenced um, the Mary Celeste, but also the Dilliatov Pass, and we get a real yeah. Dilliatov Pass kind of meets the thing scene here. Because at first they're walking past towards what they're going to find, and um, Navarro says to to Rose, "How how did you find this?" And she's like, "Oh well, Travis showed me." And she's like, "Travis is dead." And she's like, "I know." <laughs> like, which is like, yeah, no shit. Obviously, <laughs> Forget, yeah. like, did you see what he was wearing when he came out here? He could never dance like that in real life. Only as a spirit could he find the power of rhythm. No. Um, Only did he have the Julie Cruz-inspired rhythm. The ethereal dancing required <laughs> like, of it. Apparently, like, since he died, he's been binge-watching Twin Peaks. Um, <laughs> right. like, <laughs> because he wasn't touching his nose, I'm not really near the mark. <laughs> you know, that kind of shit. Like, it is... It's like, holy shit, Duncan. Yeah, but, like, so, like, she fully knows this. And we cut across and we see what they see, which is three human men frozen in terror in the ice. And it's not just that they're on top of the ice and frozen. They are buried in the ice. Like, so they didn't... Like, this isn't just, like, three days worth of... Like, somehow they've ended up embedded in the ice. And died screaming. Yes, like, they're, they're in like, terror. Ah! Well, the actual yeah. full-on terror. I yeah. couldn't make out from the three that were there, and I We'll probably find out in the next episode who the three people are in relation to the team. But it does set up a bounty of questions as to where we're going 
but we kicked the credits there and like I am rock hard. I'm just like this is this is my shit right here. This is this is what twenty twenty four is all about. Um yeah, this is like a killer opening. Tons of threads, tons of ideas, like lots of different avenues we could go down. This could be uh there's something in the water because of the mines. Like mm-hmm. as as indicated in the 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 mention the kind of the Jules Verne story, mm-hmm. I think there's something in that story about magnets. So like the magnetism of the that part of the world drove everyone mad. So there could be a bit of that. Um, there could just be a bona fide serial killer here at work, and that message is kind of like a taunt on the board. Um, you know, and you know he's like one of his trophies. He's leaving his trophy to see he's active again. It could be a bit of that. It could be, uh, like you mentioned before, a case of these research guys come across this girl, take advantage of her, end up killing her, um, and then putting her out of the mind as a way to distract attention. Right, to throw, yeah. And something happens that basically triggers them all like a mass psychosis in their in their um, research station. Loads of options here. Um, is the, can- is, is the she's awake we're referring to, or are we talking about Annie? I don't know. Where's Annie? Where's Annie? I don't know. Um, You know what I mean? Oh, there's a reason she's called Annie, right? Yeah. Annie, you okay? Okay, Annie, okay. Um, So, I'm just like, Michael Jackson was behind the whole fucking thing. Um, Uh No, I I think, I don't know. I I don't, like, because there's also, like like I said before, the idea of this kind of Inuit goddess being a woman as well. I don't, like... I don't know. Um, it's weird how it was mentioned various times, but also it's very, very, very strange that there seems to be a lot of connections to something that happened three days ago. It drove mm-hmm. the animals crazy, it's turned the water bad, and all these people at this station are missing, and a six-year-old case is all of a sudden open again. Um True detective, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's good stuff. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Like I said, I hadn't been keeping up with the internet response to it. So I, I, if you had told me, yes, season one diehards are like, well, it's as good as season one. It's like, well, fucking, of course, no one had ever seen anything like Drew exactly. in this. And it's and, hard to recreate that. If you could yeah. ever recreate that. Right. Like do something wildly different. Every time you make a TV show, yeah. I mean, good Lord, you did it once. Congratulations. You're not going to do it four times in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that aside, that kind of nonsense aside, uh, I really like the mystery. I like the, the, the fact that we don't yet know. Yes, it, it definitely is leaning into kind of super supernatural stuff, but giving, given the framing of unreliable narration yeah. is the supernatural stuff. We see more evidence of people's psychology, than it is actual supernatural shit. Yeah. Or are we going to lean into supernatural shit? Are we going to finally have the true detective season where it's like, guess what? Ghosts are real. Yeah. I mean, mean, it could could very well. We've been hinting at at almost every season, like almost every, minus season two, um, the kind of supernatural element is kind of, has been there. It's been, it's been underpinning something of whether or not it's, like there's more belief than anything else is belief in something which is inherently scary because it's pagan or it's yeah. you know it's it, it's perceived as being evil that the idea that we are 
we're dealing with like characters who in some way feel like they come from like a belief system of some description and that idea of belief meets science because what they remember these these are fucking six seven scientists that are missing um and they're doing like science on the ground on mm-hmm. what might be an area which is deeply spiritual and they themselves could have and then there's a whole idea of just like the most simple thing cabin fever like one person goes mad like one person who's done a horrible thing like goes mad at the trigger of something ends up killing everyone um I don't think the weird thing is I think we're gonna I think we're gonna see the phone footage I think that's gonna come out at some mm. point but the idea of them all being there's no blood in the room no evidence of a struggle they weren't there and three of them have been filmed miles away buried in ice it's just too tempting man it's just too tempting yeah it's really good I, the only thing that I want from episode two is I want it to begin with Diane. Who'd have thought my time in the <laughs> Federal Bureau of Inve- Investigation would take me north of the Arctic Circle? <laughs> I've booked a room in a local hotel. Across the hall from me is a psychotic woman who <laughs> trooper sister keeps showing up at odd hours, but. They seem like good enough people. Oh man, see, Diane, one, let me see tell if you a about character the gets shot jerky. in this and falls over, and then like a like a man delivers a warm glass of milk and just keeps asking them if they're okay. Yeah, that nah, will be uh, over the moon. Yeah, there's plenty. There's plenty to mine from here. I'm yeah. super curious to see where they go. I think because it's only six episodes, I don't think we're going to be left with a ton of mystery all the way through this. I get the feeling that narratively speaking, we're going to make a lot of ground the next episode. Um, I mean, in theory, the end of the next episode's the end of Act 1. Yes. And also, if anything has been shown thus far in True Detective, the mid-episode is always the one where you get, like, the showstopper episode. You know, it's the one where, like, we got the the kind of the scene where they rescue the the witness from inside the, the kind of drug town. Um, mm-hmm. In Season 2, it was a big shootout. Um can't remember what it did in season three, but like always that midpoint thing. Midpoint season uh, is episode three in this, so we're not far off it. So yeah, I think um, I'm expecting big things. I really, really am. I I love where this is going. Like yourself, yeah. if they want to lean in much more horror and supernatural, why not? They're all their own things. Every season should have a different feel and a different vibe because it's different people and it's different stories. So yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, it's uh, really having a, a ball with it so far. Um, all right, so uh, early theories. We, we've certainly, you've espoused the one about John Hawk. I think he's uh, on the take. Yeah, I like that. I I said my business about, hey, I think there's going to be a ghost story-esque kind of vibe mm-hmm. to this where Annie will have been killed by the researchers and not, I think the mine is going to be a MacGuffin. I think you're probably right. I think the mine has probably paid off uh, John Hawks to not continue investigating purely because of the optics, rather than it was the miners that did it, which kind of feels a bit a bit too on the nose and a bit easy. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, and uh, you know, one thing that we know about True Detective also is that every season is kind of about how money and power will get you out of shit always 
Always. And so, and so the mine, I think, is a good way to say that while still not being the and and anyway, it's so early like that that like you said, I'm so excited by the the sheer variety of directions this could go right yeah. now. It's, all right, let's put it this way. I don't think there's a very good chance that we could get to the end of this and none of what we've said is right. And right. I'd be like, cool with that. <laughs> like, I, yeah, I would love it if, like, if, if they're like, hey, left turn, we've solved the Salal thing, and actually that just leads us to another question about this other group. Yeah. You know, the people funding... Well, Salal, there is who, a mention specifically of whoever owns the mine was being investigated by Navarro, and that was the big no-no. Yeah. Because she mentioned, um, Danvers mentions it to her son. She's like that. Even, she even went as far as to investigate so-and-so, and he's like, oh, shit. Like that. So that's a character that very well may appear um, in an upcoming episode. And we always get those. We always get the person behind the business, behind the company. The person that's at the top is always... Mm-hmm. You know, it's a character that comes in generally uh, as the villain, but not necessarily always. Um, but yeah, I think we're I think we're we're in for a good one, Bo. All I know is I'm glad to be back doing DBCC, and I'm glad to be doing True Detective. So yeah, yeah, it's very exciting. All right, well, we'll be back next week. And between now and then, Duncan, where can people find more out of your business? Yes, uh, please check out my uh, podcast, Podcast Under the Stairs. Currently working through my top 20 horror movies of 2023. By the time this episode drops, I will have uh, concluded the back half and we'll be moving on to the essentially 10 through through one, which will be dropping in between this episode and the next episode dropping. So, uh, yeah, uh, go and check that at um or at tputzcast on YouTube, where I'm now putting all my stuff. Great. Uh, and as always, you can find this and more uh, not only at Duck and Bo Comes Correct, but with uh, The Dark Parade, which has all the other shenanigans I get up to. Most recently, <laughs> an episode with Kate Pollock in which we discuss the movie Black Swan ah. and also a woman who claims to uh, be in a relationship with an ethereal alien creature. Who's to, who's to prove she isn't? You know, it's hard to prove a negative, so it's hard to, but, you know, like that, that whole segment started about, uh, people who dated ghosts Mm -hmm. and has just turned into people who just date weird shit. And, but I love it. It's one of my favorite things that I I get to do on the regular. So, uh, but that's it, uh, between now and then, uh, please check out all the stuff Duncan mentioned. Please drop by, uh, dark parade and we will be back in a week with more, Uh, true detective and more answers and a hell of a lot more questions so uh, until then the only thing left for me to do is to say to my good friend Duncan say goodnight Duncan until then the only thing that's left for me to do is say to my good friend Duncan say goodnight Duncan I'm just gonna make that as long as well this is I thought you'd deliberately done that and I was like I will I will have to stop recording this (laughs) 